Hey man, why so glum? Ugh, it's lunchtime. I'm bored. My Facebook feed is nothing but cats and babies. Didn't you know that Lunch with Jim and Aaron is on? No, what? Yeah, they get on camera and gab with people about TV, life, whatever. Okay, I'm on it. Not to mention live streams of all their instant and full podcasts. Plus, they have ad-free feeds so you'll never hear me make this pitch again. That's great. I never want to hear this again. Shut up. Take my money. Get over to patreon.com slash baldmove to get access and help support free and independent podcasting. Okay! Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, entitled Consumed. Uh, we have done this before. I feel like this is deja vu, where we talk about what we thought about this episode, but... Sure, on the instant cast. It's just, that was just two days ago. Yeah, yeah. What did, what did you think? On second viewing, is it any different? Uh, I liked it a lot. I mean, I liked it a lot. I, I liked it initially. Um, I understand that there are... Our problems with the episode and some of those uh, problems stood out to me on subsequent viewings more. Mm-hmm. But I think the core of Carol and Daryl out uh, kicking ass, taking names, uh, trying to find Beth, their shared history, yeah. our shared history with them yes. is able to carry the day in a way that Maggie Glenn, Beth might not be able to. How about you? Did you come around a little bit to this? I know... I came around maybe a slight bit more. Like I said in the instant cast, it's a good episode, no doubt. Uh, it just doesn't fit really well in the season to me. You seemed during our team watch this morning to be a little bit more impressed with some of the symbolism, some of the uh, imagery, the smoke and fire imagery. Sure, yeah. I've had time to think about it, and that stuff... Still, still not enough to get it all the way to a thumbs up from you, huh? No, it is a thumbs up. Quit, oh, quit okay. me here. All right. Uh, I definitely like this episode a lot. Okay. I mean, compared to the two stinkers before it, yeah, this is a masterpiece. Uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't slot into the season. Like I said, it's, it keeps us away from the main story, which is Rick and his group at, at the church. And I feel like they need to get moving because we haven't seen them in four episodes now. I, I will say that I feel like that the, Pulp Fiction storytelling has bit Gimple in the ass because one valid complaint I saw a lot on Facebook was, holy shit, there was a lot less tension and drama in this episode because we know Carol survives, yeah. we know Daryl survives, and we presume that Noah survives. Yeah. So there's absolutely zero – I mean, it was purely informational what's going to happen um, – I won't say zero emotion because I thought some of the reveals we got of Carol and the scene – where they went into the uh, you know women's shelter was pretty powerful, but yeah, I oh, mean yeah. that is the one thing. Like I'm thinking of Pulp Fiction, the way they told that story was such that it was kind of impactful for every point of view. Yeah, like you know we got the Vincent storyline before we saw Bruce Willis blow him away on a shitter, mm-hmm. uh, and the, even that we we saw that Jules wasn't with Vincent, so there was a little suspense at the end. 
with the showdown uh, with uh, who, whatever, Honey Bunny and all that. Yeah, yeah about yeah, whether the, Jules would get his would, would get go out of the life for his own choosing, or whether he'd go yeah. out, you know, in a body bag. Sure. And that's the kind of thing you got to think about when you're telling these disjointed storylines. And I feel like that there again, that that particular plot kind of bit him in the ass. Imagine yeah. that this episode we didn't know Carol survived. Sure. Um, it, it would have, or Daryl for that matter, um, that would have been a lot more tension in some of those scenes. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, just, just the fact you're absolutely right about that, but the fact alone that they've taken us so far away from the main plot at this point, like I, I almost don't even remember where, what Rick's state of mind was at the beginning of the season after the Terminus stuff. It's been so long. Yeah. Um, state of so, mind. If, if you had a uh, Facebook, it'd be state of for, uh, what, Rick, what do they call Rick. it? Rick, Rick Grimes, yeah, but what the, what they call it on Facebook? Emotional know. state, throat ripping. That's how we started the season. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, okay, do you have any information on the the making of this episode? Yes, this was directed by Seth Mann, uh, who among other things has been a, a director on the uh, Fringe and The Wire. Oh, okay, and a lot of other television. So I felt over good hands in there. Writers, though. Uh, Matthew Negrete, who you might recognize as Mr. Power Ranger, Mr. <laughs> Timon and Pumbaa himself, uh-huh. uh, wrote himself a good a, a good episode, yeah. um, joined by uh, wonder, his wonder twin, perhaps, Corey Reed, hmm. who only has written two episodes of Walking Dead, this one and Four Walls and a Roof. Uh, okay. He also wrote, wrote several episodes of Da Vinci's Demons and Medium, which is, I guess I would say, schlocky. But, I don't know. I've never seen either of those. But uh, regardless, um, I thought there there was actually some interesting parts, interesting uh, dialogue through the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the fact that writing was sparse. You know, I felt like that they it was very sparse. But the way that they unfolded the dialogue, the story, rather. yeah, yeah, with with Daryl and Carol here was really good. I okay. mean, that, the, the, we'll talk about it more. But the stuff with the book, I thought was excellent. Um, a, a lot of allusions to fire and smoke here. Um, Which, by the way, we fucked that up. Just right away, we, we got yeah. dozens of people writing, multiple dozens of people writing this in to let us know, you fucked up the book, uh-huh. and you fucked up Carol going back with her tail between her legs to prison. Which well, we fully they acknowledge. fucked up the van. For nah. Us, so well, yeah, here you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I thought you were going to fuck up the water catchment system. No. You're going to go with that. And I'm like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. Um, no. Okay, well, I think we're ready to begin the episode. Okay, let's yeah, let's get into the recap here. Oh, before we go on, um, I felt really bad because I was listening to the personal arrogance, our friends Eric and Jesse. Yeah, final episode, the, the two hundred and twenty. They're calling it quits. Actually, in the new year, we're going to rework them into a rotating cast of just kind of regular characters with you and me and Levi and a couple other guys from their crew. Yeah. Um, I- I don't want to promise anything on that no, because there's January is jam packed. Fuck me season. Like, but, but there is something so coming stuff. down the line eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they said a lot of nice things. And I fully intended to call into their show and, uh, you know, talk about how much we're going to miss them uh, yeah. as recurring. And my son got sick this weekend and it kind of got pushed out. So I felt really bad. So I wanted to use our biggest platform to say, <laughs> you know, how proud I was of the. To say, fuck. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the door hit your ass. 
on your podcasting debut, but no. To say the war's over and we That's won. right. Total victory for Bald Move, <laughs> first and foremost. And uh, also, uh, congrats. Uh, 220 episodes, man. That's amazing. That is a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes to just make shit up on a week-to-week basis and have it yeah. be good at all. Have it still be entertaining. They they just got better and better, too. Oh, yeah. They, they went out strong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jesse's successful in the brew. I mean, that's probably the the root cause of uh, the podcasting stopping. The fact that uh, it's your D and D sessions, man. I've seen the maps <laughs> that he's been drawing. <laughs> that They're too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd tell you guys to go listen to the podcast, but it is no more. Yeah. However, there's 220 episodes in the old <laughs> Bald Move archive. If if you've got a year to kill, yeah, right. There's worse ways you can do it. Now let's talk about consumed. Okay, we start off with a flashback to when Carol was banished. So uh, right as Rick dismisses her, she gets in the car, she drives off, uh, she cries a little, she drives around a little, she looks for supplies, she collects waters, then she sees some smoke in the distance, and she goes back to the prison, which is burning now. Black smoke, still currently yeah. on fire. Yep. Uh, there it is on fire, so. That zombie that she screamed at, go away, uh... He was working that walk. Oh, yeah, man. He had that ass switching back and forth like it was on a hinge. I mean... That's a great walker shamble. Like, I I wonder... I I would like to see an outtake of how long they let him do that. Like, there's like, hey, man, this guy's... This is pure gold. Can we get a zoom in on that? Uh Uh-huh. Will he walk for five minutes? I don't know. But it was was, uh, one of the... One of the best physical zombie performances I've seen in a while. Yeah, I'd love to see, like, an outtake where... They just don't cut. Yeah, they right. Just let the zombies be zombies for a really long time. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And they're they're probably trained that you do your zombie yeah. thing until we yell cut. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know beyond all reason, five, fifteen, twenty minute takes. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, so this is why we are not running shows because we just fuck we with the fuck extras with people, all yeah. day long. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, we find out that Carol is not as cool with the banishment as we suspected she was. She kind of seemed to take it in stride um, from our perspective before. And I like that it came around and it showed us. Fell apart behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't as cool as we thought. And also, like I said, we fucked up the reasons why she went back. Um, but she did go back when she thought her friends were in trouble. Yeah. Carol's mounting up to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that was really good, too. Showed her character. She wasn't like, fuck those guys or fuck Rick and his high horse and his 10-gallon hat. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh Anyway, so there's a song that's playing over yeah. this montage with Carol, which I liked a lot better. I judge by your huffing over there that you didn't. Uh, I thought it was way better than the stuff they did with Beth, which was just straight pop. This has a very mournful, sorrowful feel to it. Uh, it's called Bad Blood by Allison Mosshart, if anybody's interested. Uh, why didn't you like it? I don't know. Just I don't know. I mean... I was kind of listening to the lyrics and listening to the music and, and evaluating whether I just feel like if you're going to license a piece of music, it better be really on point. Uh, there's a lot okay. of shows that do that very, very well. And they did some great work in the, the prison stuff. Yeah. In this show with, sure. with music. And they've done a couple other, like um, I'm thinking season one, uh, Glenn riding out of Atlanta they're playing this really grungy rockabilly yeah. stuff as he's making off with his boosted charger. Mm-hmm. So, so they've, they've done it right a couple of times. I just felt like that if you're going to license music, it really has to be just, you know, and this was not. So I would rather have Bear McCreary go to work on it, honestly. Yeah. No, he McCreary or McCreary? I think it's McCreary. 
Okay. Uh, I'll probably never remember which one is which again, but <laughs> Bear McSee. I'd rather see him go to work. Mickey C. Uh, what did you think of the survival stuff that they show Carol getting up to? I liked it. Um, it seemed like the use of crayons for candles exploded in 2013. Like everyone simultaneously <laughs> on the internet discovered that because I was reading up on it. That's weird because we have candles. Like crayons are a name brand thing where they charge a higher margin because they're named crayon. Sure. Why don't you just buy some fucking wax stuff? Well, so it's like, it's a prepper thing. So what I saw is like, or camping, like, um, why you, can't preppers buy candles? <laughs> they got to buy crayons and repurpose them. No, what I'm saying it's is writing utensil as well. It's well, right. I don't you, have space in my underground $50,000 bunker. No, it's a, it's a cheap toy to keep kids <laughs> occupied and an emergency source of light and an emergency fire starter. Right. Apparently. So I, I thought, you I thought that was cool with a crayon. Yeah. Right through the eye socket? Sure. Or through the lower if you, jaw? If you can use a garden hose to kill them, then certainly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we go to present day, and Daryl is telling Carol what happened during his time with Beth as they drive down the road. Uh, following that white cross car, I'm super, saw super disappointed that I didn't get to hear Daryl say the words hot pursuit followed by coo, coo, coo. <laughs> Honestly. Jeez. Uh, the car stops, the guy gets out, and spots them potentially spots them like do, do no. you think he saw them no and, and a lot he of people had, saw walker banging on the car sure and a lot of people had a problem with that um and i'm kind of questioning since car carol could roll down the window and knife the zombie why she just didn't do that before the cops came back out because it seems like that is mm. a dead giveaway yeah, yeah however it seems fairly easy to follow someone from a quarter mile away in the dead of night and and also, yes, the streets are empties, but have you noticed how strewn with abandoned vehicles they are? Yeah. So I... A parked I don't, car there is not suspicious. Right in the middle of the road with a zombie banging on it, maybe. But yeah. clearly, the you know, I, I I don't think that they saw them for a minute. I really don't. Okay. Uh, I, I think I'm with you. Um, what do you think they were doing in that road? It looked to me like they're clearing it to try to get through. I don't know, because it looked like he drug a child's bicycle and a body, and it took he him did. a long time. I... Do you think that there's some kind of stash spot? Like, are they, do they have a, a quantity of drugs or alcohol that they've got on the outside of skirts that they go and kind of like top off on before they go back to Law and Orderville? I mean, I we already know. know they're running a prostitution slash rape gang at the hospital. I wonder yeah. if they're up doing some other things as well. Uh, I don't, I don't that, know. That I... stop seems shady as shit is all I'm saying. It does. Um, it kind of depends. So, like, if I'm if I am making missions out in the middle of the night, and I don't want anybody to follow me. I'm probably going to take a different route as often as possible, right? I'm I'm not going to go down the same route every time. That's how you know you let people stake you out and find your movements, and that just leads to you getting killed if people want to. Uh, so, if they're smart, they probably take a different route every so often, and sure. I feel like maybe they were just clearing debris from the road that had built up, like bodies. Uh, yeah, you don't want to just run over a bike and a body. Yeah, yeah, it'll get tangled up. It's probably not good for your car. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it'll make a hell of a lot of noise too. Yeah, so I, I think they were just moving stuff out of the road mm-hmm. to go down a new road that they hadn't taken before. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, did you notice that the riding past uh, or into Atlanta was the exact same spot that Rick rode into his horse? 
Yeah, that's cool. Um, had down, the down same the highway. Yeah, had the same flipped over commuter train and the yeah, it was yeah. the exact same spot, which I thought was a really nice touch. And it makes a lot of sense. It was right? so dark you could barely see it too. Yeah. So, but but nice nice continuity touch. I didn't see how the city compared to the city that Rick rode into. Was it as bombed out? When did the bombing happen? Because we've never seen the bombing. Happen. No, it it happened while I tell you we we saw it actually happen. Maybe it was when um, sh- I think Shane and Lori were on that little outcrop. Oh, and they actually okay. watched the 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 they city get napalm. Fucking early, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People weren't even out of that city before they just no, said, Fuck it. no, Let's indeed, take out Atlanta. indeed. And it's I think that's that makes sense because we saw the military kind of rounding up and just shooting everybody at the hospital that Rick was, was passed out on. So yeah. 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 Um, I, but I don't know that they actually had the effects quite. I, I don't know that they decided, decided that they were going to bomb out Atlanta to that extent. Yeah. Cause now when yeah. you go into Atlanta, like all the buildings are scorched and there's like uh-huh. blown out windows and stuff. I don't feel like that was the case when Rick rode in I think on it. Was but, just a lot of trash in the road when yeah. Rick was in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I like, and you mentioned it briefly, is rolling down the window and stabbing the walker in the head, which is in contrast to what Rick does when a walker shows up at his window. He rolls down the window and he shoots it in the face. Sure. Causing hearing loss for everyone in the car. Sure. Uh, attracting more walkers. Yeah. It's a dumb move, and I'm glad Carol didn't do that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's middle of the night in, in Zombie Central. There's yeah. something like 500,000... You know, if you assume ninety percent of the human populace turns into walkers and they're still going, you got like five hundred thousand walkers within those walkers. city limits. So yeah, you don't want to be causing a lot of ruckus. <laughs> no, do not want to be causing the ruckus. Uh, and I also like every, everyone in this episode seems to be smarter than they have been in the past, uh, with the exception of the van incident, which we'll get to. But in this in this scene, Daryl is driving after them. Carol's like, why don't we just run him off the road? And Daryl's like, well, if we run the guy off the road, we try to make him talk, and he doesn't talk, we're back to square one. If we follow him, maybe we'll get some more information before we have to take him out. You know? No, I, d- I dug that. Super smart. And you expect that with a uh, episode centering around Daryl Dixon, right? You would hope so, yeah. Sure. So then they uh, follow this car in further. They break into some government building. And make their way into what we find out is temporary housing. Uh, it's a, a shelter for abused spouses, I guess, and abused children. Uh, Carol wants to take the first watch, and then they talk for a bit uh, about stuff, about uh, what happened in their lives, things like that, as they do a lot in this episode. Um, they, we find the the book, Treating Survivors of Childhood Abuse. That is a real book, by the way. Oh, it is? Yep. I checked it out on Amazon. What's it about? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? I was disappointed that no one had left a review by a D. Dixon. Like a real real opportunity to to leave a a review. I don't know if that's appropriate, but it would have been funny. It would have been, yeah. So I thought about doing it, but I didn't have time to do that. That's right. Uh, Anyway, I don't know what they were doing when they were going in here. It seemed like maybe they were they were making a single path in and out of this kind place. Of, yeah, fortifying, closing off side doors, that kind of thing. Yeah, pushing tables up against them. Uh, I think that was so walkers couldn't get in behind them. Had us, uh, a couple people emailing us, wanting us to talk about, and I'm not even sure if I mentioned this in the in the feedback, um, but want to know our opinion on the sexual tension o meter. Did you? I didn't detect uh, a 
bit of sexual tension. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I was expecting it, especially when in this room and there's the bunk bed, and I thought <laughs> Daryl's going to be like, well, there's no need for you to freeze up there. And <laughs> oh, God. You got all this squirrel meat down here. Um, and Or for her to kind of like make the sly passes she used to make on him. Uh-huh. But they just seemed like they were really good buddies. Yeah, definitely. Th- there was no tension there whatsoever. Like you and I have done every single action that Carol and Daryl has done, sharing bunk beds, including sharing bunk beds <laughs> that that Carol and Daryl have done in this episode. And granted, the sexual tension between us is it's, thick. Yeah, I mean that's really what powers the podcast. But we're really just good friends. I mean, there's so <laughs> I, I I guess that was my perspective on it. Yeah, I didn't pick up anything there. So yeah. Uh, I guess, are we saying, like, put that rumor to bed? Because it seemed like only Carol was interested in instigating it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe her libido got burnt away two Carols ago. Consumed. And, or, or maybe it'll 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 come back, it'll come raging back after this next, th- this uh, formative moment that's, that's happening to her now. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I just, yeah, I, I feel like that there is no more... Uh, Beth, Carol, Daryl, love triangle. Yeah, it really feels like it. And I'm not even sold on the whole Beth, Daryl thing. So we we'll see. Like I, I think it was two seasons ago that someone wrote in with the take that Daryl Dixon could possibly be just asexual. Uh huh. That his childhood abuse and all that has just you know rendered him kind of incapable of that kind of intimacy. Yeah. At least right now. And I actually really like that take. Beth will bring it out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Doodlebug. Doodlebug yeah. can do it. Can't resist that. Daryl does doodlebug. Uh, so they start in here with kind of Carol's idea of she doesn't really know who she is. Um, she's lost. Like Daryl asked her what she would have done at the car if he didn't show up, and she still doesn't know. She's trying to figure out who she is at this point. Uh, and I think, you know, that theme goes throughout the episode, so we'll talk about it more when we get to some of the more important parts of that. I really like before we move on the scene where they're laying on the bunk beds kind of like side by side. And they're both kind of looking up that Daryl's eyes look so fucking black. Just the way the shadow hit what him. When you eat so much squirrel meat. They're like a doll, like a dull doll's eyes. They're like yeah. shark's eyes. Uh-huh. I mean, it was a really, I don't know if they did that intentionally. And they're like, oh my God, check out the face. Look at the lighting on Norman. Let's get in here. But a lot of people are complaining how dark this episode is. You know what? Um, like, I, I can't see it on my TV. It's rough watching on your plasma in the middle of the day. I know. Um, there are some, but I, but of mine, cause we've got basically the same TV. Yeah. When I'm watching at night with the lights turned off, it looks, it looks good. good. So I don't know. I, I could definitely see if you've got like, uh, a, a television that does not do black contrast very well, that it could be pretty rough. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like during daytime you're watching an underwatted tele, you know, uh, movie <laughs> bulb or something. Yeah. So they hear a noise down the hall. And they go to investigate, and it is uh, what I assume is an abused mother and her daughter in a room. And Daryl tells Carol that she doesn't have to kill him. She's kind of happy about that. What a nice guy. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know that he's going to go do that very thing the next day. Sure. Do you, th- and it's, it's a really, f- it's, first of all, it's a fucked up scene. And, yeah. and I think, uh, you know, kudos to the location scouts and set designers in this episode because yeah. they really found some compelling sets. Mm-hmm. They really dressed up nice. Like the decision just to frost that glass, or if it was already frosted, yep. was way creepier than we explicitly saw the mother and child. 
Absolutely. And there's something yeah. affecting about, you know, the woman there and then the little shadow joining her. And also the fact that that was Carol before the yes. apocalypse. And, and, and the little girl might have been, might as well have been Sophia. And it invites you to wonder, like, you know, it's kind of, I think that's interesting about life. You see the, pe- the paths li- uh, people's lives take and the where they're at at present can only be as a result from walking the path they were on. Yeah, yeah. Like, if she had stayed at that shelter, there could have been two sets of mother's daughters. And also the the thing yep. that I kept thinking about this episode is the realization that, like, yes, Carol is free of Ed, and she's got to be happy about that on some level, but she also lost Sophia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a parent, I'm just wondering, like, what you think about where you're at today. Like, if if, if you sum everything up and, and Carol's yeah. little speech about how I was the person I really wanted to be in the prison and... You know, if if she'd stayed behind, if she stayed at the woman's shelter and her and Sophia both died, I guess I don't haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what all that means for her and the arc. But I thought it was just interesting that they evoke all of these thoughts and feelings just from a very simple setup there. Absolutely. No, you're right. And I think, you know, what you were saying about the the set being or not even the set. I don't know if it's a location or a set, but. Uh, it felt very claustrophobic, and like yeah. that was the, the path that they were both on at that point. Like this office leading is, up to this door. It was like two rooms connected by just crazy cramped dark hallways. Yeah, and that totally adds to the tension. Sure. Uh, the other thing that they did that was fucking phenomenal in that scene was they had the woman walk up to the door first. Yep. And I yep. thought, oh man, oh there's there's a walker in there, and then yeah, when you've gotten over the shock of that, they hit you with the little girl. Yeah, realize like, oh, that. Oh my god, that's fucked. Yeah. No, that's really well done. Yeah. Uh, then Carol goes right to sleep after that. Not bothered. <laughs> just falls right asleep. Actually, she lays awake for a little bit. Then she falls asleep and wakes up to the mouth watering smell of Walker burning in the morning. <laughs> yep. Daryl, what a guy cooking breakfast. Fantastic. Uh, he pulled some bacon fat right off the back mm-hmm. uh, of those those kids and that mom <laughs> oh, before he before he burnt him. Yeah, he learned a couple things from Terminus. It wasn't sure. all wasn't all bad. No, there's so much out there to survive. It's on. the method. You can't. It's the yeah. living people. You Tainted know, meat. Come yeah, on, yeah, just cook that shit. Like like the one uh, <laughs> a nutritionist <laughs> two, nutritionist two year old rotted meat. They they need just a rendering thing. You know, they can put zombies in sure. one and pressure cook it the other, and out comes uh, sausage, chicken nuggets, yeah. chicken nuggets. <laughs> exactly. Fish sticks. Uh, then we get another flashback. If you've eaten a fish stick. And I've eaten a fish stick. At least a little bit of zombie. I, I'm saying you'd, you'd be ready for Soylent Zombie. Soylent Z. <laughs> you'd be ready for it if you've eaten a fish stick. Sure. Sure. <laughs> or no. Taco Bell. Anyway, we get a or flashback Arby's. to Carol and Tyrese burying Lizzie uh, and Mika, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some white smoke in the sky. Yeah. They, is... There's a new apo- a post-apocalyptic pope. Indeed, there's also a new Carol being born there, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that the so, so? So what fire is she seeing there? Could you theorize, Mister Mister Jim? That fire has got to be the fire from Still. It's got to be Daryl and Beth burning down the shack that they were staying in, drinking moonshine, right? Uh, yeah, that was kind of. I think they explicitly said that last season. It, it could have been the Still fire. Could have been the prison fire. Um, and I. So this kind of there's this theory I've got that this is representing the different parts of Carol burning away. That the first first Carol burnt away when Ed got killed, 
the second okay. carol that was forged into prison uh, went too far and finally burned away at this very scene because yeah and and sh- and and that's what I think is was is is interesting. She started burning when the prison was on fire, mm-hmm. and then she finished her she finished her transformation into post apocalyptic ass kicker. Uh, so now it's like, what's the third transformation going to be? Because we we see smoke at the end of this episode. What do you think of that? Yeah. Um... Was was Terminus a black fire when she or black smoke when she saw that? Uh, did she see that? I don't know that we saw that. We heard she heard okay. the. I mean, she was certainly in in the fire there, right? Like, right. I think she caused she, the fire. Obviously, yeah. she caused the fire. She was all all up in that fire. Yeah. Uh, that must be her going through this again. Okay. And then I don't know that we've seen. Carol transform into a new Carol yet, but like you said, maybe she's headed there now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think because at the end of this episode, she's abruptly run over by a car. So sure, no time to change who you are at that point. Right, but that's the thing. Like the the corpses and whatnot were burning with black smoke in this episode, which you know, if and again, they might this might all be accidental. But if we go back to last season and like yeah. you know, when things are still burning, it's black. When it's done burning, it's white. Yeah. This is signifying the starting of another burning of Carol. And I kind of had a suspicion, if I'm right, if she dies at the end of this half season, I bet that that there's going to be some white smoke in the background. Okay. Probably ascending into the heavens, so you get the extra... What if green smoke? I mean, what if she fucking... (laughs) She burns. And she starts a, a copper chlorine fire, and it's yeah. just some brilliant green smoke. Weird, I, what do you think? I don't know. Then she's a <laughs> leprechaun. That's then, and Rick will find a pot of gold in her ashes. Yeah, that's the other thing we didn't really talk about uh, much is the fire and the smoke uh, in the instant cast. We didn't talk about it much. No, uh-uh. uh But they've been planting the seeds of this. Sure. For almost a season now. Meek and Lizzie last season. Yeah. So r- really well done, right? If that's where I, they're going with this, and it seems like they are, then yes, they did a good thing. Yeah. I, they, I feel like even the buildup uh, that they had done in season four and then the kind of release that we got in this episode was worth it, even if they don't go that extra mile and, like, kill Carol in, in a blaze of green smoke. Like, I still think it's it's been well handled. Yeah, and that's... And, and more artistically than walking dead tends to be sure and you know i give walking dead a lot of shit a lot of times but i they have a tougher challenge because there's just not that many core people and that's what it takes to build like Mm -hmm. real relationships with the viewers and real shared history to where you can hang stuff like this on i mean you've got daryl carol rick and glenn and Carl, obviously, but he's not even really an interesting person until last season, and it's because he's yeah. he's a little kid. I mean, what the hell is a little kid? Sure. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see what they think about the zombie apocalypse, but he wasn't a really a main character we got to know and love. So they killed them all off. So yeah. Glenn is unfortunately being weighed down by this. I don't know where the hell they've lost their chemistry, but the Maggie business, we've really only got four main players mm-hmm. that we have a connection with. And that's really tough in a big ensemble cast like this. Yeah. And one of them is, <laughs> has just got hit by a car. Yeah. So, things are not looking good for, for team Carol. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're building, or at least last season, they were building Maggie into one of those characters that we really cared about. I don't feel like they've done it necessarily for me with Beth very well. 
I see. I, I don't care much. About I think her. they fucked up Maggie and Glenn tar- terribly last year. I was interested in them in through season Just three. Glenn's but... insane quest to go and and, Maggie. and Maggie's the same way. Yeah. I mean, and and, and well, Maggie doesn't give a shit about her sister, and that's a big problem. <laughs> Well, so we got some interesting takes on feedback about that. Okay. I don't know that it's completely changed my mind. And also Kirkman got on the horn and started right. explaining things. Oh, sure. Because, you know, that's what you want to do when you have an hour TV show every week. You sure. want to have to get on a show afterward and sure. explain. Tell them happened. how you read. My, and, and so you, you know my opinion of when show creators do that. It's like, oh, well, what we're really aiming for. It's like, no, fuck you. Um, yeah. So, but I forget where I was even going with that. Sorry, it was the the Beth and Maggie stuff. No, I I think that Beth, I just Maggie and Glenn. I even though they made their quest to find each other supposed to be poignant and driving, I just found it nonsensical and stupid. And then when they got back together, their chemistry is just off. Yeah, it is. It's like I don't know whether they both see they're they're like this old married couple where they don't ever do anything cute and they don't ever have sex and they don't even like really kiss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the scene with Abraham and Rosita juxtaposed against Glenn and Maggie last episode was fucking weird, right? Yeah, and Maggie, like, hey, you know, I got I, I, this Polaroid picture of you was what's keeping me going. Snatch that, burn it, gone. Yeah. It's just, just weird shit like that. Sure. I don't know any use for them anymore. Not to saying they couldn't rehabilitate them, because um, I really hated Beth when I was first introduced to her. Yeah. She's gotten um, better. She's gotten like Tara. Well, she kind of stepped back into the shit again last episode. But she was they're even doing decent work with her. At least she called Abraham out. Yeah, bullshit. We are stopped. Yeah, jackass. She ain't gonna let. She ain't gonna let an old man get his head chopped off again. No, that's how it not. starts. You get you 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 give a <laughs> guy. How it starts. You give shit. a guy like Abraham an inch, she'll cut an old man's head off. Oh, you you okay. can't let him do that. You're right. He'll he'll pilot a tank to prison and cut an old man's head off. You can't let that happen. Uh, Carol and Daryl then move out to higher ground. They make their way into an office building through the parking garage, and in the sky bridge, they find a bunch of walkers trapped in camping gear. Who boy? Which I liked a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people didn't like it, but I think. So much like we made the fatal mistake of misjudging why Carol went back to the prison. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people missed that there's big red holes in the center of every one of these sleeping bags where the chest should be. And it's really a dark story of these band's survivors camping on the sky bridge and a bunch of post-apocalyptic marauders coming through and capping them all while they sleep. Yeah. And, and, uh... And and then so you you add that to the actual just visual imagery of these zombies writhing in this blob like tint yeah like something out of a carpenter film I thought it was with with the silhouettes straining to get out against uh-huh. the fabric you could see that one dude's face yes. he was like in it man uh-huh. uh, I that totally worked for me it did for me too but on a couple of levels it's it's totally black comedy like sure there's this rotting dead thing in there that wants to devour your flesh. And yet it's so comically absurd the way it's moving around inside this tent. Uh, it's slapstick almost. It's done up like Ma Petita on American Horror. Again, <laughs> I, I understand you don't get that is. reference, but... Uh, but then there's like the actual real horrifying level of, oh, I, I see what happened here. Sure. And that's pretty fucked. Yeah. Uh, uh, so but I liked it. I liked, I liked uh, Daryl using the uh, fire distraction. Fire distraction? Yeah, oh, setting, the the, setting Beth's diary on fire. And, uh, <laughs> Is that make, what it was? Making a good use of it, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's... Beth's not keeping a diary anymore, huh? 
Uh, it's in his bag, obviously. But. Right, yeah. And he's like, he was reading through, and he saw what he was, she was saying about all our previous boyfriends. He's like, this is bullshit. Well, use it for distraction. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Uh, then they go into the office. Um, they take a look around at the wreckage of Atlanta. Talk for a little bit more about uh, Carol changing, stuff like that. And then Daryl spots a white cross van on the bridge, and they gather some supplies and head out to investigate. Yeah. Um, so a lot of introspection. Yeah, I was gonna say, wow, that's it's like you you that's that's uh, you walked a mile with them legs. Uh, when you saw the door at the chain and how they got through it. Oh yeah. I initially I'm like, man, this is this this is gonna fuck them. This is gonna fuck them. I was thinking zombie. I was not. I should have been thinking Noah. Uh, but I was thinking yeah. there's going to be some kind of zombie thing. I was too. Um, and, of course, we're totally vindicated. When they get in the board, uh, boardroom, I noticed that they worked in a stealth F-bomb. Yeah, what the fuck? Now, Gimple said that of all the possible readings, he didn't want to do the stealth F-bomb because it sounded weird. You're talking about at the end of last season. With Rick fully the addressing car. the co- camera and saying, you know, they're effing with the wrong people. Daryl, mealy mouth, cotton mouth, marble mouth, Daryl Dixon mm-hmm. from a side profile. Like I first thought that like I just didn't hear it because half the thing, half the stuff he says I don't hear yeah. on the first. I don't see how the that man can make the same argument that because you could he could have said screwed or messed and it would have been fine. It wasn't a crowning moment of awesome, but he drops the stealth f bomb there. I don't get it. Like, is that an overreaction to the criticism he got in last season? Because he's gotten a lot of criticism for that. Deservedly so. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a reaction, but it seems a little silly for them to go for it in a line that doesn't need it. No. In a line that doesn't need the punch that that final line of last season really fucking needed. Uh, it seems silly to yeah. just throw that in there all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the Daryl's theory about the the abstract painting that they just painted the dog's <laughs> ass and had him scoot it all over the canvas? It looks accurate. Sure, why looks not? Looks like it to me. Uh, Carol, so there's some interesting stuff with paintings. Um, you know, we go back to the Beth episode, and the doctor's talking about you know the the painting, saying it's not about uh, surviving; it's about transcending. The art is about transcendence and being more than we think we can be. Uh, Carol sees that in this painting, I think. Daryl does not. Is that just a product of who they are? I mean, Daryl Daryl makes a comment about, you know, some rich white guy spent a whole bunch of money on this stupid thing. Carol's like, I kind of like it. I don't know. I think, I don't know. I guess they're going for the fact that humans still appreciate art on some level. Like that okay. they haven't fully lost their humanity, just like the doctor had said. But that's that's really searching for some meaning in this scene. I kind of thought maybe it it's mostly just comic relief. Really, they're gonna they're just gonna go back to this painting for a good solid minute for comic relief. Well, I mean, do you think that there's an honest difference between at this point in the episode, like a real substantial difference that's coming out in this discussion between Carol and Daryl, other than she likes abstract art and he doesn't? Well, it's it's a. It shows that Daryl maybe has not completely changed. I mean, you know, he's still a product of who he was before this thing happened. You know, he is not he's not a, a drifter anymore. He's not robbing people, taking shit. 
that kind of stuff. And he cares about people at this point. But at the same time, he's just like we saw in that country club. He was he was reaching for money. He was uh, which good thing he took. I mean, if he didn't have that 20, 30 grand on him, I don't see how he sets that corpse fire. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But but he's (laughs) he's a little disdainful, I think, of other classes of people. Sure. Why not? But I don't know. How... I think that's that's what they're trying to say here. Hmm. Daryl is still Daryl after all this, you know, a little bit. Yeah, I guess. Like I, as a guy who also does not like modern contemporary art, I, I, I don't have a single problem with class warfare and all that kind of stuff. And I, I still think it's bullshit. It sucks. It's bullshit. Okay. Fair so maybe I, I'm color. I'm, I'm, I'm my my viewpoint's a little colored. Could be. Uh. Do we want to talk about anything else in this conversation, or should we move on? Uh, I think we're ready to move back on. We're ready to to go well, try to I go back across is... the sky bridge. Well, there's one line that I wanted to point out. Uh oh, um, where Carol says something to Daryl about him not knowing who she is or knowing her very well. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Yeah, keep telling yourself that." I feel like he does. I'd see. Uh, I, I don't think closest... that line was to that thing she was saying. I think that line was to her protestation that that was art and she appreciates it. And I think he's like, yeah, keep telling yourself that. Like him well, saying right that to her. That she she said something like, you don't you don't know who I am or or you don't know me that well or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I maybe. Thought. Maybe. You could okay. be right. But so what is he saying that he does know her? Yeah, better than he thinks. And, I, you know, this relationship they have is significant. Sure. It's not maybe the nature that we thought it was at the beginning, but it is still an intimate relationship. Yeah. And I think he's just saying that. He's like, yeah, I know you better than you think. Okay. I I saw someone argue online about that that was meaning the opposite. So I guess that's why oh. I was arguing that hmm. I think they maybe misunderstood him. So Okay. So they head outside. Uh, just in time to get their weapons stolen by Noah. And then they break out of this locked building, and uh, Daryl's abuse book falls out of his bag. Mm-hmm. This is where we got it wrong. We said uh, that was Carol's bag. That is not Carol's bag, although the reason I thought so is because Carol picks it up when they're walking out. Or she, the, she goes to, to pick it up, and that's yeah. when it falls out. Yeah. It's like, oh, that must be Carol's bag. No, that's Daryl's bag. So yeah. that changes the context of that quite sure. a bit. Sure. He's, he's wanting to help himself. Yeah, self help, just like last episode. Um, yeah, did you, I? I also thought the staging of this scene where Noah Jackson was a little suspect, a little bit. Like, <laughs> uh, Carol had to go through that particular way with with her back facing the door. She puts the weapon down within easy, like within a hand's breadth away, and Noah apparently has been behind the tent the entire time they've been in that room. And he pops out, grab, walks over, grabs the gun, again, six inches from her hand without her noticing, and didn't have a weapon himself. I, I uh, The first time I watched it, I didn't have a problem with it. But the second yeah. time, I'm like, this seems very writerly. Like, we have to yeah. have this happen, so let's make everything work out so it it that it's successful. And I just don't feel like a survivor like Carol would make a mistake like... I know this room's full of walkers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them could wriggle out of a fucking tent. Uh, Some of them could wriggle out of a sleeping bag. I'm going to, regardless of that, spend several seconds with my vulnerable back exposed, not watching what's going on. I... Yeah, it seems silly, especially considering they didn't kill the walkers in the tent. Not all of them, sure. Yeah. 
Uh, Although, can you only imagine what that must have smelled like when when when, when Daryl yeah. killed that walker and then opened up the sleeping bag? That's uh, a sky bridge. Yeah, all glass. Uh-huh. Survived one, maybe two harsh Georgia summers of just uh-huh. baking that stuff, and then inside you've got a you got a you got a a a, a, a bag a, ro- a roasting bag mm-hmm. that's just locking in the flavor designed to keep heat in. Sure, <laughs> sure. That's that's going to be a horror show. Yeah, yeah, that would be horrific. Uh, but yeah, as soon as I saw Carol coming out the door backwards, it's like this is nothing good is going to come of this. Yeah, there's going to be a walker out there or something, and it was Noah. Yeah, I wish wish they could have done a little bit tighter of a job in that. But on the other hand, it's not a fatal mistake. Yeah, and then they run off to you know once Noah takes their weapons, they run off to another door to try and get through. And I really like how Daryl doesn't stand around and have a conversation with Carol. He's participating in this conversation, but he's also picking at the door, trying to open it up with his knife. It's not like he just takes time out to have a talk. He's actually doing stuff. Mm. I just appreciated that. Sure. Uh, So they get to the bridge. They investigate the van. And can I just say bad shit happens? Dumb shit happens? Like the van goes over. They go over. uh, Some bad, some poor editing. Some bad choices were made on both sides of the camera. Yeah, no, uh, some some su- speaking of suspect <laughs> shit. I mean, and it's weird that they lampshaded. Like Carol gets in there, she goes, "Let me go in. It's unstable. I'm lighter." Yes. Daryl yes. looks at her like she's stupid. Proceeds to get in the van. Carol looks like okay, and she gets on the back. And I'm like, okay, well, this is actually smart. She's providing a counterweight. Yeah. But then she just goes into the front seat with him. That made no sense so dumb you're there to you're there to just rifle through a bunch of papers which you could just go grab and get it seemed like the big lead was the g uh uh gmh that was on the stretcher yeah for grady memorial Mm -hmm. um which i don't know it 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 was maddening that was just really poorly conceived especially gonna do that if you know what's about to happen i'm i'm the editor yeah, right? I know the van's going to come out, go go out anyway. I know the van's going over the edge. I just cut out the part where Carol says we probably shouldn't get in this van because it might tip over. Yeah, because then you just make her look like a fucking idiot. Or you have her standing on the back as a counterweight, and then she's giving a report on the zombies getting closer and closer, and you stage it in such a way that it doesn't seem like the zombies are a mile away. Yep. And she's like, they're getting closer. He's like, Daryl, we're about to be overrun, and they try to get out, and then they're stuck in it, and then they decide, well, yeah, it seems like there's a couple tweaks they can make to make this. And again, the stunt itself. Yeah. It's clear that when they push this van off, that it was going to flip over onto its roof. There is a scene, there is a a video out there of the actual scene being shot, and the van does. The van lands on the the compartment, uh, whatever it's called, the cockpit of the car. <laughs> the roof? Uh, well, yes, it lands on the driver compartment, uh, smashes on the rooftop, and it What do you mean by driver compartment? It's a van. I know the, the where the driver and the passenger sit. So so what is that okay. Entire front seat called. Yeah, the cockpit, whatever. <laughs> but so you're saying it, it falls know. on the roof, but but at that at the angle of that junction where the the windshield meets the roof. Yeah, it just lands 
right and on their head. Flattens them right on their fucking heads. Okay, down. So it would have killed them instantly. Somehow, the way they staged the scene depicts all three possibilities for this car landing. <laughs> uh huh. Go sh- the wide shot of showing it teeter tottering. If that finishes its rotation, it lands on the roof. Yes. Inside the car, the camera is clearly showing it going to hit bumper first. Which is, what I, which is what I think they should have gone with. Cut away to the bottom scene. It lands on its fucking wheels. Yeah. No, it's, it feels like, to me like they... Was there a cat with a buttered piece of toast strapped to its back and a fancy Persian rug in the bottom of that van? What the hell can account for that, that range of motion? I don't... And, and I, I just feel what like... What is that a reference to? I have they, no idea I, what it's, you're talking about. I don't know. It's a way to generate infinite power and a joke. But... Um, okay. Yeah, because cats always land on their feet, but bread always lands butter side oh, down okay. over an expensive carpet. Gotcha. There you go. Yeah. So, um, and it just infinitely <laughs> spins in space. You attach a generator to it. Sure. Boom. Infinite power. Um, what I don't get is it seems like they should have just picked one. Like They should have. And I feel like what happened is they filmed the scene. And you can only do that scene once. Yeah. And they were like, okay, we're going to have this thing come down, land on its front bumper, maybe, uh, and we'll just throw it off and see what happens. We'll film it because we know we got to do it anyway and there's nothing we can change. So they filmed it and then they got to the end of the shot and they were like, fuck, that would have killed them right away. How are we going to fix this? I don't know because I feel like they should have gone landing on the front bumper. They still could have done that. That's what the inside was showing. I would have, it still would have been weird to see the one outside angle. But, you know, and and that's the other thing is I actually looked up the survivability of this. Okay. Uh, Like if that bridge is 50 foot tall, then the, if you do the math, um, they would have hit the ground about 37 miles an hour. Totally survivable if that hits the front bumper and then you know rolls over into the roof. With airbags and stuff, yeah. Not even with airbags. Just with the conventional hmm. seatbelt. Like that's not it's, – it's, you'd probably get hurt. Um, if it was 100 foot tall or if it's 75 foot tall, it'd be like – 50 miles an hour, which is starting to be like that's the golden number where you start being less and less likely to survive and more and more likely to die or be crippled. Hmm. But it feels like that hitting the bumper would have been a cooler look and then they could have actually had it roll onto its uh, the back and then they could have gotten out the wind. But maybe they wanted maybe it is they really wanted to see the scene of the zombie splat. splat onto the windshield and splatting on the bottom of the car wasn't as impactful. And that was yeah. honestly that's what sold the scene for me. Yes. Like I was like, okay, I love the heroes overcoming adversity with seatbelts. I don't know why, but I love that trope. And I was starting to call bullshit about the orientation of the vehicle, and then the zombie started. I'm like, okay, yeah. all's forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I I went through the exact same thought process there. Uh, and I have to give Zombie Kill of the Week this week to Van. Van <laughs> gets Zombie Kill of the Week for that splattering. Uh, you're not going to give it to Gravity? Uh <laughs> Well, it's a combination. The right? Sir Isaac Without Newton? the van, the gravity doesn't do anything. Without the gravity, the van doesn't. So, sure. Okay, combination of Sir Isaac Newton and his van. <laughs> uh, classic story there. Uh-huh. Also, this scene gets Idiot Survivor of the Week in Carol. For going to the front for, of that yeah, for front of knowingly that van anyway. For knowingly making a situation she just drew attention to worse. Yeah. It's like, hey, this catwalk doesn't have OSHA-approved hand rails. I'm going to balance beam on the side of it. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not what you do. Sure. Uh, so I was reading around on Reddit, and there was oh, a, bad a idea. Redditor, I know, named uh, Babe Beer Me, 
Uh, sure. And he got a couple of screenshots, one of the inside of this van with the Mary statue on the dashboard. And then he went to Lost and he got a season one, I think, shot or maybe two uh, shot of Boone climbing up into this airplane, going inside and pulling out one of those exact same statues moments before that airplane falls off the cliff. Do you think there's a connection there? Do you think the writers were like, you know, this thing's going to go over. I remember Lost going over. Let's put this Mary thing here. No, I just figured it out with all the black and white smoke. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Carol is going to be the first post-apocalyptic pope. Uh-huh. And this miracle with the statue of Mary miraculously flipping the van onto its wheels when all logic <laughs> should dictate it lands on the roof is going to be her first canonical miracle. Yeah. And she's going to be saint- when she dies, Rick's going to collect all these miracles that she's done. The Immaculate Bottle Rocket. Uh-huh. Um, that was a one-in-a-million shot. The, Miracle. The, the intercession uh, of, the, of the merciful van. And he's going to collect all these, mail them off to Rome, and they're going to, they're going to give – she's going to be Saint Carol. I'm not seeing the where first. the smoke monster fits into this. Well, it's the white smoke. When we see the, oh, white, the white smoke, smoke when she monster. dies, that's going to, she's going to be simultaneously Pope Saint uh, Carol the First. Boom. Okay, that's that's what it's all about. Sounds good. Uh, anyway, I thought that might have been a cool tie-in. <laughs> uh, Carol nurses her wounds before they make their way toward Grady Hospital. Which, which again, location scouts bang up job. I don't know whether they found yeah. it's an exceptionally shitty part of Atlanta, or whether they found a really cool scene with like railways and like all these like abandoned warehouses and then CGI'd them up. But I I really like I, I really like what they're doing with Atlanta here. For sure. So Carol's got a hurt shoulder, we find out. Then Daryl and Carol are on a stakeout, and... Wait, wait, wait a second. Did you find Carol showing off her seatbelt bruise? Did you find that to be sexy? No. Okay, because as, as no, several why? people, like, when she, like, you know, pulled down and was like... Ah, oh, my God. They're like, that was, that was one of the things they cited as uh, Carol being I, sexy for Daryl. I didn't get it. I didn't pick it up. Look at my crash wound, Daryl. Yeah. I want to see your axe wound. Oh, and then Jesus. Bob Chicka Wah Wah. No, anyway, no, I wasn't feeling it. So they go on a stakeout and they talk about who they've become. And this is kind of the core of sure. the whole theme of Carol being consumed and reborn again. Uh, how much do you want to talk about this? Uh, it is one of the central themes of the episode. Well, I mean, I we, like we've talked a little bit about it already. Yeah, and we've we have talked in the context of what. The, the the like the three carols, yeah. you know the pre zombie apocalypse carol, the prison carol. She's got burnt away, and you know Daryl asserts we ain't j- ashes. So that begs the question of what is the third incarnation of Carol going to be? Pope Carol. Yep. 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 Pope Carol the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pontifus Maximus. Uh, I I don't have an idea because I'm really digging this, you know, Ellen fucking Ripley, uh, you know, Sarah fucking Connor version of Carol. Sure. I have been for a long time now. It, but the idea of that, um, I mean, but that's different than like Mama Bear Carol. I'm oh, thinking yeah. that maybe this is the third Carol, that she's just like this tough leader survivor on par with care with with Rick and and Daryl badass but I don't know where it ends 
And and it's got to be a melding of the two, right? It's got to be like take charge, kick ass Carol, which makes me who think is unfeeling, that unfeeling, and this new Carol who has kind of synthesized that into a person who can survive, but also be uh, care about the people around her. Which makes me know? think that the arc that she's headed on is this tale of two cities where she's going to fuse the badass and the protector, and she's going to sacrifice herself to save Beth. That could totally happen. I don't <laughs> like the idea, because the other thing is, it seems like badass Beth, or badass Carol, storming into the hospital and kicking ass and taking names is not going to happen. She gets she gets ran over by a fucking car. Like, this is not her playing possum. This is not her getting chuffed in the head. Nope. I mean, <laughs> this is a serious no shit getting hit. And she was hit. already injured. She already had that Already she was half car wrecked before. <laughs> she got in two car wrecks. Then she episode. got Joe blacked outside this office area. And uh-huh. it's I, I just don't see her walking, much less climbing through air vents, no matter how badly we want it to happen. Yeah, I, I can't see it either. I'm with you. Uh, let's move on. They hear noise. They find a walker with a crossbow bolt through its head, and then they are on Noah's trail. They track him to a door where Daryl drops a set of shelves on him, and then he smokes his last pack of cigarettes. Uh, then Daryl leaves him for dead until Carol says, come back and help him, and Daryl gives in, and he does. Uh, that's kind of showing this softer side of Carol, you know, this more caring side of Carol. Even though this guy has taken their weapons and potentially left them for dead, uh, I mean, I guess he did see them. Daryl pull the knife out of his boot when he cut those tents, but those walkers could have killed them. Am I the only guy that when I first saw that zombie with the crossbolt through his neck thought, oh, wow, it's a callback to season one? That, oh, like when they're I don't st- think you're the only one, no. When they're storming looking for for uh, Merle and the early goings, and he was just like putting crossboats and zombies left and right. Yeah. I like, oh, wow. And then I started thinking, wait a second, is that actually believable that a zombie could stick to a wall for over a year? And then I caught up and realized it was Noah. Yeah, uh, and Daryl taking him down would make any linebacker proud. That was a hell of a tackle. Like yeah. the stunt man who did that must have been wearing padding. Like, yeah, that, that looked like a hard tackle. Yeah, like it, he and he tackled him right at ass. Like, like pulled his full force uh-huh. into his ass and like ribs into a shelf. Yeah, and... not good. Oof. Not good. Um, painful. He lit up Morley cigarettes, which I got an email from someone saying that that was an X Files reference. Okay. Apparently, Morley cigarettes is what every til- t- uh, film and television, you know, because like, they have these fake brands. Like that's a like, yeah. canonical. Like n- dozens of movies and dozens of television shows have used a Morley brand. Yeah. So I don't think it was an X Files nod, just as you know, a nod to that whole tradition. But it was cool. Seems right. Yeah, definitely cool. Uh, uh, I really, <laughs> I really like just seeing him light up. I don't know why. Seems like a thing that Daryl would do. Dude, you knock a bookshelf on someone, you plant your foot on it. You take their cigarette. You take a nice slow, you take the cigarette, take a nice slow drag and tell them to, you know, F O A D. It's it's pretty badass. Even by Daryl, I kill tanks with my bare hands, Dixon standards. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. You don't rare, you rarely get to see him just gloat over his victims. Sure. And badass triumphant, triumphalism, triumphantry. (laughs) Definitely. Just making up words here on Bald Move. That's what I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, so finally we get a flat. Not finally. We get a flashback to Carol in the woods after the Terminus escape, and she just takes off the poncho. She gets the shit off of her face, and uh, she sees smoke. What does that mean? Well, that's black smoke signifying uh, a complete sh- 
complete transformation. And I think that's the Sarah Connor, uh, Ellen Ripley transformation has been complete. She's okay. gone from mousy, battered housewife. And now she has to, to sassy prison administrator gone mad to, yes, she's got alien uh, DNA. Um, Carol Resurrection. My next, my, I just wonder what transformation the, 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 uh, th- this sequence is, is setting off and where it's going to, you know, what, yeah. when we see the white smoke. So that's the, that's the black smoke we saw. Maybe it wasn't even the corpse fire. This is the last smoke we saw her observe. Uh, we're looking for the white smoke. When is the transformation going to be complete? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I'm looking for the green smoke myself. <laughs> all right. You're all go for green smoke. <laughs> what is it? So, so, so you're expecting uh, the green smoke would signify not to blow up Alcatraz. I think so. Right? Yeah. That, <laughs> sure. That's what the green smoke means? Yeah, to if, wave off if the... If you blow up Alcatraz, it will just release the poison. So Yeah. Me and Sean Connery... That signifies that Sean Connery and I have disabled the threat here. Do not bomb Alcatraz. Yes. Okay. I can get behind that. <laughs> All right. And in the final scene, Daryl and Carol save Noah. Uh, he tells them that Beth is at the hospital, and then they run outside, and Carol immediately gets run over by a car. <laughs> Uh, brutal stunt i would like to know who did that yeah yeah and somehow noah is able to contain the rage uh, of daryl here by saying look she's hurt so badly they're gonna help her don't go out there yeah he wasn't kidding he said you underestimate him because he's scrawny i would not suspect he would able to yeah gain saying gain say daryl and all his uh rage because like like yeah. the emailer sent last week like now two of his women friends have been jacked right underneath his nose. He's getting a reputation at this he's, point. He's, yeah. Like, don't let Maggie go out with Daryl because yeah. she might not come back. How big a badass are you if every survivor, <laughs> you know, gets gets jacked under your watch, man? But People going to ask questions. You, you can take Tara. Take Tara, <laughs> go out into the woods for a while, and we won't be a... Send Eugene out in the woods to protect her. <laughs> then we solve uh, two problems with one, yes, we do. one zombie teeth. And finally, Noah and Daryl steal a box truck. I think it has badass transport written on the side because <laughs> they are coming back with uh, badasses in tow there. Yeah, it's an at-bat, all-terrain badass transport. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to work in a Star Wars Episode Seven joke, and it just wasn't. Okay. As a- was Abrams working on Yeah, an at-bat. And that's it for the episode, man. Uh, they they set it up again. I definitely want to see who comes back in this truck. Did you like how they used a previous episode as cover or distraction to get around outside the the building? Previous episode, yeah, the dumpster fire. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, it took me a second, but they used the yeah. wreckage of that to, to sneak out the building. The uh, while well, the zombies are distracted. Yep, the script for five oh five. Wow, you think we could? You think we could come up with a video where he's he's shown a notebook and it says script for episode five hundred four or five hundred five? Sure. All you'd have to do is you do an insert of you with like a yellow notepad and yet lighting paper, it on fire. Says a script for five hundred five. Then cut to him lighting it on fire sure. and throwing it, and then just cut to the dumpster fire. Yeah. Okay. It'd be super easy. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> anyway, that's it for the episode. Last week, Jeff Bezos as you all know, called us on our podcast and demanded that we, and by extension, all of you, get down on our knees and lick his copper-soled boots. We were shaken, but we remained defiant, calling on all loyal Bald Move listeners to take the war to Amazon and use your affiliate link, amazon.baldmove.com, to pinch those pennies. 
Bezos holds so dear. And you responded like heroes. Our covert intelligence operatives at Amazon have reported mass confusion in the ranks as the infamous Bezoian penny mills have ground to a halt and in some extreme cases reverse flow for the first time in Amazon corporate history. We do not know to what end Bezos is conspiring to corner the world market on copper. But whatever his nefarious goal, we believe we have caused him serious setbacks. Our sources have said that Bezos works long into the night, consulting with his legal team, flogging his board of directors led by his chief hoarding officer, his CHO, to find any loophole, any pretext, no matter how low or depraved, to staunch the bleeding of his precious pennies. If, as we suspect, we have Bezos on the run, we say to you, pour it on. Show no mercy. Do you have Amazon Prime? Make him sweat that free two-day shipping on all your holiday purchases. Watch all of The Wire, The Sopranos, Deadwood, Eastbound and Down, and many other HBO hits, all on Bezos' expense, all on his dime, his penny, if you will. We've got lots of other penny-pinching tips to share in the weeks ahead, but for now, remember, Amazon.BaldMove.com is our key to victory. Amazon.BaldMove.com is your penny siphon piped straight into the pockets of Bezos. Make him cry, boys and girls. Make him cry. You want some feedback? Are you ready for feedback? Yes. All right. Connor O.B. said, you guys keep jokingly mentioning wanting to see Carol go all die hard and crawl barefoot through the air vents and slap town to save the day. I propose something way better that I've been thinking about since you brought up this idea. Daryl going through the air vents. <laughs> okay. Uh, seeing as how Carol's both legs are broken at this point, uh, I'm liking this possibility better and better. True. I would lose my shit with excitement if Norman Reedus had a throwback to one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies, Boondock Saints. I'd love to see Reedus <laughs> crawling through the air duct with a huge oh, spool yeah. of rope around his shoulder, tangling him up in the fall, through. fall through the ceiling with it dang- him dangling above the floor and see him take some people out with a crossbow bolt. Yep. What do you think, Jim? That's I'm, a winner. I'm totally with him. That is uh, that is a winner. I forgot about that scene, but you're right. You're absolutely right. I was thinking, how would it be better? Like, I don't. It's the same thing, but yep, Boondock Saints. All right, uh, next one, Chad L. He says hello again from your Iowa post-apocalyptic dental professional. Right. Listening to your latest podcast about Eugene doing and saying incredibly unsocial and timely comments leading to his beatdown, it occurred to me that he behaves a lot like a few of my patients who have Asperger's syndrome. Okay. He links to the wiki article on that, and uh, he draws my attention to the social interaction part and said that this is Eugene. My patients don't realize that normal social cues and nuances to engage in a normal conversation. Hi, how are you doing? And I'm doing great. How are you? Are seemingly out of reach for people with this syndrome. The idea of someone who is in no way equipped in, to, uh, to making friends or bonding in any way is very interesting, if you ask me. I'm looking forward to how the group will handle Eugene. Do you feel sorry for a guy who can't help being the way he is, or that will or will that grow burdensome, and will they kick him to the curb? Do they rehabilitate him with the threat of excommunication if he doesn't start contributing? Jim, what do you think of the interest level of a character in the zombie apocalypse with Asperger's? Like a Sonya from The Bridge. I I do think it's interesting. I just don't know how long-lived it is because he's right. Like if Eugene is not capable of doing anything to help this group, how long are they going to tolerate that? Forever? Can they like support Eugene and is that going to be considered a noble goal by them? Yeah, I don't – again, because I, I wonder how much of this is an act – 
because I keep going back and forth between does he really have something like this? Like, does he really that far in the autism spectrum? Uh-huh. Or is this another thing that he is doing uh, to to manipulate people? Yeah. And if he is such a great manipulator of people and their motivations, then doesn't that by definition mean he can't have Asperger's? Like, can, a, would, can a person yeah. that deep in the autism spectrum understand a person to say that I'm on a mission, you have to help me, that kind of stuff? I just got done reading this book called Mockingbird, um, and it's about yeah, this... Yes, the, the new uh, Hunger Games. No, 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 right? no, 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 <laughs> no. Um, it's actually about this um, seven, or the girl in third or fourth grade who has Asperger's, and she's dealing with... Uh, you slowly find out through the story because it's told entirely in first person from this little girl's perspective. And it's written by a woman who either has Asperger's or has a daughter with it. But yeah. you, you, it takes you like six or seven chapters to realize that her mother has just been killed in a school shooting and her, and her brother because that's just the way she organizes and thinks about dating and the way it comes out. And, huh. and it does a really good job of helping me understand – what it's like to be inside someone like that's head and to try to think of like, uh, this person's crying. What do I think this means? You know? And in, I just come away with like a guy like that. If it's Eugene and he's an adult, I don't see how he pulls off the things he pulls off, but if he doesn't, I don't see how he can possibly think saying in that moment to Abraham that I am smarter than you is going to do anything but get your ass beat. So, Gotcha. So and where saying, does this character go from here? Yeah. So so do you think he was just trying to hold on to the the fake persona that he had built when he told Abraham, I am smarter than you and you're going to and then he got clobbered? Don't know. I I I, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But that's my that's my problem I mean, with Eugene. That or he does have with Eugene as Aspergers sort of... is that he's already made done things that seem way more cunning and manipulative than I would think that a person with that affliction could pull off. Again, yeah, not a doctor, not a psychologist. This is just me, my my inward thoughts on the matter. Yeah. Um, and 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 have him rehabilitate to a fully three dimensional character. Um, I mean, they did it on the bridge. I fucking hated Sonya in the first couple episodes, <laughs> and I learned to really like her a lot. Um, but then again, that's you know not in the zombie apocalypse, so we'll see how well this routine uh, works. Okay. Moving on to the next one. Karen P. says, This is nitpicky, but there's only so many times I can hear someone say frustrated or irregardless before I just can't keep quiet any longer. Are you sure you're listening to the right podcast, Karen? I'm <laughs> I'm concerned with your health, with my mispronunciations, and just the way we cover the show. I'm just I'm just I'm just alarmed. I got to tell you, she says you often refer to the show sometimes complicated or convoluted storylines, such as Beth's hospital story or Abraham's backstory or Terminus as high concept. But much like your misuse of the term bottle episode, you're completely misusing the term high concept which is something a lot of people do. High concept refers to a simple concept, not a complicated one. In other words, something that can be easily described. For example, The Walking Dead is pitched as a high concept show. It can be described in a single sentence. Survivors of a zombie apocalypse. Lost was pitched as a high concept show. Plane crash survivors on an island. 24, a spy show that takes place in real time. 
What's not high concept is a combining a bundle of convoluted and interconnected storylines that play with timelines, include multiple factions, complex zombie set pieces, mysterious locations, multiple villains, a virus of questionable medical origin, cliffhangers every week, and a cast of over a cast of over twenty regular characters. I was gobsmacked. I had no idea. I didn't either, but that totally makes sense. Walking Dead is a high concept film of a show. Mad Men, character driven, uh, complex as low concept. Yeah, yeah. They it that's seems counterintuitive. Exactly but, counterintuitive. Uh, well, that's what you get. But anyway, I appreciate that because I actually do like. Uh, I actually like being corrected when I say dumbass things because I try not. <laughs> Despite all evidence, all recorded evidence contrary, mm-hmm. sound like a dumbass in, in, in everyday life. Shall we continue? Yes, please. Stella, I'm with you on criticizing Eugene's behavior this episode. Maybe I'm missing something, but this character shouldn't be able to manipulate the others in a group so well but be unable to hold his tongue, right? Um, we actually covered that fairly well just um, five minutes ago. So let's move on to her criticism of the uh, Pulp Fiction-style storytelling. <laughs> on Jim's okay. point on Pulp Fiction as evidenced by The Walking Dead's nonlinear storytelling, having the potential to work, there's two things. A, Pulp Fiction was just two hours long. Viewers could pull disparate story elements together because segments are pretty short and quick. Mm-hmm. The Walking Dead doesn't do a segment. It does an entire episode. This show has already gone on for over 40 hours, over 20 times the length of Pulp Fiction. The nonlinear structure of Pulp Fiction was possible because we didn't have time to lose interest or lose the threads. Here, all we've got is time to lose interest in threads, namely 165 hours between episodes and months between seasons. Mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction Part B uh, also wouldn't have worked if we judged structure or narrative just over halfway through. Is Gimple setting up a narrative that can't be judged until the end of the series as a whole? Or even a season. Yeah. If so, that's pretty stupid. But to misquote Jim, (laughs) there's the right way to do something, and then there's the Walking Dead way. So I can't assume that's not Gimple's vision. I thought that was a pretty strong point. It Um, is. Yeah. And 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 I go back to my point about the one thing Pulp Fiction did is they never used that device to cut the legs out from a later segment. Like no one, yeah, yeah, you know, it, everything was kind of mysterious and edgy all the way till the end. Whereas several times the editing undercuts the show. The way they've assembled the order of these episodes has lessened the yeah, tension. I think so. I mean, and it's a fair point to say that you know the duration of the series is one of the determining factors on whether or not that's going to work. Uh, I mean, granted, they've only been doing this for this time jumping stuff for what four, six episodes now. Yeah, they did a little I mean, bit of it last with even the governor. One, they didn't do any of it. But even with the governor well, last yeah. going back, and that seems like something they dip to their toe in. He likes to do. I think so, and I mean it can work, but it's tougher. It's tougher in a TV show, and I I don't know. I don't know. You got a week between every episode. At this point, it has been a month since I've seen Rick. It's like, yeah, am I really invested in his story anymore? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, point four, you were mentioning Friends this week made me think about something totally unrelated to your point. Namely, how bad would that show have been if it just left a core six behind for a couple of episodes a, a season uh, to do character development on one of their boyfriends or exes? <laughs> What's Tom Selleck up to when he's not with Monica? How does Ross's lesbian ex-wife cope as a partnered parent in a homophobic culture? Who the fuck cares? That's how I feel about Abraham and the governor and everybody else who is in our core group of survivors. You know what shows add superfluous characters to replace the people at the heart of a show? Soap operas. Uh, <laughs> she just dropped the bomb. 
Yeah. No, she dropped right the too. bomb. Even we're like, ooh. She's totally right. Though. Blow the belt. Now, right? that's that's and that's the difference. You can't do these side stories on characters that either we don't care about or we're actively been trained to dislike. Yep. I agree. And they, like you said earlier, they're running out of those characters. Yeah. At this point. <sighs> Shall we move on? Okay. Barry C has an uplifting piece of The Walking Dead. No, get it out of here. Real life news. <laughs> uh, a magazine, uh, Us Magazine article about uh, Lori Holden, who you know and love possibly as Andrea, uh, was part of a sting operation that saved 55 people from sex slavery and uh-huh. ended a huge sex slave trading cult. How does that work? How did she get mixed up in that? I guess this is something that they've taken like citizen volunteers and it's this this project that they've been doing. Um, and they set up these sting operations where they tried to buy these people. And then I guess Lori's job was to go in and distract, uh, and, and keep the women quiet while the cops were moving in to get the, to, 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 you know, put the noose around these guys. But yeah, they freed 55 people. And, and I guess this one guy is like responsible for hundreds of people being sold into slavery from Eastern Europe and Asia. A celebrity, uh, uh, television star civilian go into these places with the SWAT team? I don't think and... they let... No, this is this is also... This is a little Batman-y. This is not like a police force. This is private individuals oh. doing all this. And then once they get all the information... And, They're risking being sued. Well, no, they actually, I think, <laughs> at the last stage involved the cops. It's kind of like the Catcher yeah, Predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that shit isn't being done by police officers, but police officers are the ones that storm in and, and bust the guy wow. who's got the the wine coolers and the uh, flavored condoms and yeah. the candy cigarettes. Exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, good job, Lori Holden. Yeah. No kidding. And wow. it seems like a super brave thing to do because I don't think these people would have a problem killing yeah. to continue their odious business practices. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, they get one look at it. They're like, you're the guy, you're the girl who shot Daryl. So <laughs> fuck you. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be, uh, that would be bad. Um, uh, Dan B said, anyway, I know, uh, with an issue, he actually has a whole bunch of, um, um, I can't remember whether he's praising or, or, or shitting on the show, but he, but, but in my editing does not make that clear, but he shifts gears and says, anyway, I know that with an issue with this season so far is it's unclear timeline, how much time has passed since Terminus, etc. I had a thought about that. That's a good question. Towards the end of season four, I felt like we were getting in the fall. Rick stole his iconic fur-lined jacket, and everyone seemed to be bundling up more. Then they escape from Terminus. It seems like we're back in the middle of summer. Maggie, Abraham, etc. are wearing tank tops and still sweating their asses off. Last time they yada yada through the winter, it was obvious. Lori grew a basketball under her shirt, and Herschel turned into Santa Claus. Is it possible that they just skipped winter again, or and our only clue was vines and a sign in the Morgan bonus scene? Or do we have a Game of Thrones situation where the summers last for years? I'd love to hear your guys' take on this. I'll throw another piece into the continuity ring. It felt like at the end of this prison arc that they were going to harvest. They had visible crops like corn. They had pigs that they had been – they had guns to harvest from Mm -hmm. the gun farm. Um, And it did feel like that there was a chill in the air. Like Abraham was wearing his knit – his long underwear and his knit cap, which he probably still is wearing for some reason. Everybody else is wearing short shorts, wife beaters – tank tops, etc., and also visibly sweaty. 
They got the stereotypical yeah. Walking Dead shine sheen to them. What's going on here? And do you care? I think it's a case of... So, there are a couple possibilities that they walked for a really damn long time after they got out of Terminus. <laughs> like, a close to a year uh, after they got out of Terminus. I don't think that's possible because Beth wasn't with them and the timeline lines up such that Beth was out for a couple days, Max, and... Maybe they're just and, fucking and with Beth. Right She's been in a that. coma for six months, and they're <laughs> acting like it was just like... It could be. That could be it. Uh, the other option is Rick is just the kind of guy who doesn't give a fuck. You know, you see, like, <laughs> dudes in the summer walking down the street in leather jackets. Or trench coats. Because they look fucking cool. Well, underneath, they're a sweaty mess. Like, they're pooling up. Uh, their boots are filled with fucking Or like guys sweat. in L.A. wearing leather pants. Yeah. That's got to yeah. be swamp, ass, taint, and balls 24-7, and it's they're still the doing it. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. They just want to look cool, and I yeah. feel like that might be what Rick is going after. Okay. All right. Uh, fair take. Uh, Dan W. says, I thought the reason Daryl flipped out on Noah during their second meeting was that he was pissed that Carol nearly died after they lost her weapons. I agree with some other Facebook commenters that he has been slow playing Carl for most of the episode to draw her out. But I think the reaction to Noah was separate from that. During the first meeting, he assumed that they were both tough and resilient and would manage without weapons. He was upset at himself and at Noah that his closest family member nearly died, so his old attitude of fuck everyone else that's not family came out. What do you think about that reason for... Because they... We, I don't think we talked about that bad. in the episode a lot, that they... Yeah. They switched from Carol wanting to kill the guy to Daryl wanting to kill the guy. Yeah, that's not a bad take. All right, he's got another point he wants to make. Okay. Uh, I think this episode reinforces why Gimple chose to have the three distinct storylines in the past three, really three and a half episodes. I agree with Aaron that the church storyline had reached a stopping point, and there's just no way you can merge the last three character-focused stories into three cohesive episodes rather than one each. I know you guys disagree with that storytelling decision, I think that Gimple boxed himself into a corner with some questionable decisions, but managed to get out of it without too many problems. I also think that any episode prominently featuring Glenn and Maggie has a ceiling of mediocrity. <laughs> Can we please kill one or both off of them at this point? They have no charisma. But I think some of the problem is that waiting that goes with the week-to-week format. As Jim said in Instant Cast, it's been months, a month since the overall timeline advanced. I think this will still feel like a brief diversion on DVD or binge-watching, and the only episode that will be a real problem is the Abraham one. Jim, your thoughts? I mean, I've said what I've said on the the time jumps here. I, I, I yam what you am. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I obviously agree that it's been a month and we're starting to not give a shit. Are we seeing the showrunners care less and less about the first day viewers and, and this is like, hey, this is going to be on Netflix in I like six know, months. man. That's such... Like, if so, I kind of give them props for that because it's a ballsy move to say, we're going to make a show that doesn't appeal to people who are watching it in the moment. <laughs> but we, we trust it'll pay off in the end. That's like... You're right. You're right. That is incredibly ballsy. It's So you're making a show you people, that I don't care about, yeah. and you're expecting me to buy the DVD to start caring about it? Yeah. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like, how, six million people saw Breaking Bad in its first run. Yeah. In 10 years, how many millions of people do you think will have seen it? Are we living in a uh, post-Netflix society where... 
like ostensibly this guy's worked for AMC, but is AMC even around in 20 years? Or do do they cease being a cable network and being more like a Sony who made Breaking Bad, like a studio? Right. Yeah, that, that's a fair question. Um, I mean, I think networks will emerge. I would call Netflix a network, honestly. Mm. I mean, yeah, they're they're buying up a bunch of shit from other people who make the stuff, but that's what AMC did before they made The Walking Dead. Yeah. So it's like Netflix is a network. It's just on the internet, and it's much, much larger than AMC could ever be because it doesn't have to constrain to time slots, you Hmm. know? Okay. Their catalog can be infinite. So, yeah, we we probably are going to see stuff in the future made more for Netflix. I mean, look at the stuff that Netflix is making, House of Cards, Orange is New Black. All that stuff is made for binge-watching now. Yeah. Yeah. If you're watching that week to week, you are the exception rather than the rule. Certainly. All right. So. Good stuff. Uh, Michael C. said, has another, I thought, really good take on the Carol Daryl dynamic here. Regarding the flip-flop of attitudes between the C and the D, I have another thought. You correctly observed that in the first half of the episode, Carol was bloodthirsty and heartless, where Daryl is the voice of reason and the protector of human life. Then, at the bookcase, the roles were reversed. Confusing at first, but between these scenes, D and C had a heart-to-heart where Carol said that she doesn't think she can save anyone anymore, as shown in her attempt to shoot Noah, quote-unquote, in the leg, which no one believed for a second. I believe that, too. I think she was shooting to kill. Yeah. I didn't. I forgot to say that in the cast, but the I... The leg I, is a hard thing to hit when somebody's running. And she was bringing up aim in dead center. <laughs> Again, I'm not a ballistics expert or anything, but that's what it sure. seemed like to me. Okay. Uh, he continues... Daryl, seeing that Carol was teetering on the edge, pretended to be heartless and let Noah die. This allowed Carol to realize she's still good and willing to protect or save human life. All part of Daryl's master plan to bring Carol back into the fold. That's a hell of a plan if that's true, Daryl. I like that take. I don't know if it's true, but it's a good take. Sure. That's... (laughs) That gives Daryl a lot of credit in the moment, you know? Well, you know, he's been, as Carol was sleeping, he's been reading that book. <laughs> he's been learning some things about himself uh, and how to the, relate with people. The subtitle on that book and how to plot the future demise of your <laughs> friend is... Yeah, no, no, how to prevent yeah, her slide sure. from bloodthirsty mayhem. <laughs> how to prevent your friend from being a Terminite. Yeah. Joseph V said, what are we supposed to take from this episode? The basic fact that Carol was in an abusive relationship, that Daryl has abused himself, that Noah is as unskilled as Tara. No. The fact that we know nothing was thrown their way that would have caused any real risk to Carol or Daryl. We knew Carol would get taken to the hospital, and we surmised Noah would be taken back to the camp to meet with the others and hatch a plan to raid the hospital. I wouldn't mind a filler episode if AMC wasn't so much into a seven- or eight-episode miniseason. This seems like a waste when they could have been tying up plot points faster and get to moving to allow better action, a better action-packed cliffhanger. So I don't totally disagree with this. I think we we got more than he gives it credit for uh, in... Uh, even just the beginning shot, the the beginning scene of this is one that we didn't know about with Carol, and it does develop her character, right? The idea that she wasn't as as tough as we thought maybe she was, as as cold as we thought. And that says a lot about who Carol is, uh, and the, the really it's about the transformations that she's going through throughout the apocalypse, and this episode ties that all together, and and really just shows us who Carol is and who Carol was and who she's becoming. I actually respect Carol even more because it's easy to be an unemotional shutdown killing machine. It's hard to be a killing machine 
that actually still feels things deeply. Sure. Yeah. Probably not healthy either, but no, um, that's the way the zombie, the ZA goes. Yep. Uh, Andrew E. said, um, I love the emphasis on the emotional and moral toll that this world has had on Carol. We forget that for all of Carol's badassery, she carries the pain of what she's had to do with her every day uh, of her life. Sure, she's done the right, right things, and I think um, would defend her actions to anyone who questioned her, but seeing her stare at those burning people she killed at the prison filled her with grief all the same. The flashback to her freaking out and ripping off her gut-smeared poncho after laying waste to Terminus calls back to uh, Michonne killing her pets and a herd of undead she used for camouflage in the episode after. There comes a point where the horror of this world becomes mundane when you do snap out of it and realize that what you've had to do just to stay alive and save your friends from suffering and death in this shithole, it doesn't matter if you've done the right thing or not. All you get is more time breathing and moral injury. The undoubted good that Carol has done doesn't make her feel any better about her actions, and she's still terrified of losing the people she loves most. Though the group loves Carol for her character and actions, she hates herself for the same reasons. This is quite a powerful take on depression and it really hit home with me. What do you think, Jim? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it kind of sums up what we've been trying to say about Carol. <laughs> yeah. You know, and what the show has been trying to say about Carol. And I, I like it. Yeah, no, I thought 100% I agree with that take. And that's why I he, he summed up nicely why I really like the flashbacks. Yeah. And how maybe we didn't learn anything new, but we got a lot of shading and nuance on the things we did. Absolutely. You know? And and, and, and that's why it's going to be a goddamn shame if they kill her. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, I'm with you. She's one of the... I don't even know if I qualify one of the best characters. Right. She might be the best character on the walk. Like, Daryl or Carol? Who's got the more room for growth? Who's got the higher ceiling at this point? Man, I don't know. Because Daryl, as awesome as he is... Where does he go from here? Where Carol's still like she's just coming to yeah. her own. I I don't want either of them to die. I suspect like, that both are not long for the world, but damn. Yeah. It feels like to me that Daryl had his moment when Merle died. Yeah. Or when Merle came back, really. Yeah. I mean, then it was all about am I gonna be who I was before? And he made the decision not to be. Yeah. And, and yet he still cared about his brother. It wasn't like he said, Fuck that guy, he made me into this monster. I want nothing to do with him. He he tried to understand him. He tried to better Merle as well. Yeah, and I tell you, going back to our preseason cast where I predicted that Daryl would die at the end of this season, not half season, but season. Oh, I have some info on that. Okay. Not spoiler info. Well, yeah, you yeah, we already talked about this at lunch, right? I think so. Spill it. Yeah, so in on Wikipedia, Norman Reedus is listed in season one as a recurring role, not as a season regular. Uh so if you want to say that contracts are five seasons long, then he probably has the standard ones are yeah. six uh-huh. before he's done with his contract. So that Possibly. might extend his life at least another season. I mean, who knows if they're going to kill him and we don't his contracts up. Right. Or we don't even after. Right. We don't even know. That's just my speculation. Yeah. I will say, though, if they if they do kill Carol and Daryl. <laughs> oh, God. You're really you really don't have much to hang your hat on. Like, you've got to go. F- all in on fleshing out Abraham. You got to do major rehabilitation of Glenn and or Maggie. Yes, yeah, you gotta you gotta really do a lot to make Beth into a solid character. Tyrese, Tyrese, Tyrese. Come on. You know they need to quit flip flopping on him yeah. and get his at. I mean, God, we like, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, if I were them, I would be planning this stuff 
uh, I would be setting things up a half a season before I'm getting ready to knock them down, right? So, like, I wouldn't ever kill a character just kind of out of the blue sure. before I gauge the audience reaction and how connected they were to that character. Like, if they go and they look at Tyrese's season and they say, oh, boy, everybody hated that he was so flip-floppy, we had planned to kill him this the end of this half season. Well, that's already filmed and in the bag. They can't do anything about it. But if they wanted to kill him the next half season... Yeah, they could say, "Oh, well, maybe we should hold off on that because we haven't built him into a strong enough character for people to care yet." Yeah. So, um, got shall I move on? Yeah. Uh, Crane sent in a long email. It was very amusing. That talk went through all the twists and turns we've taken because he's been listening to us from the beginning. All right. All the ups and downs, and the highs of some seasons, and the lows, particularly of, The Walking Dead. Of the particular The Walking okay. Dead. And he's he's basically analogizing it to an abusive relationship where oh I thought we were gonna bust out like graphs and no 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 where where the show deeply hurts us <laughs> and then says I'm never gonna do it again I've changed my ways and then we get a dinner with roses and then we get a foot massage and then it starts the cycle of abuse again oh, until no. we hit a new low he yeah. says and and I, I couldn't I didn't have time to read all that because my whole point is you're both in an abusive relationship with the show mm-hmm. I'm enjoying watching you both get sucked in and hurt by this monstrosity I will never watch the show that's why he checked out last season he's not watched any of this season but he's continuing to listen to the show oh that's so weird as a okay. sadist apparently yeah he goes I never will watch the show again but I will listen to your podcast until you walk away from this horrible relationship with the walking dead <laughs> I will tell you at the mid-season finale that you'll be on board again <laughs> then when they return you will be like what the fuck again all the way to the end of the season then you compare the season finally to the others where this one ranks my prediction bottom two then over the summer the hype machine comes in and you both will convince yourself they're back on track <laughs> and the best season ever because they made some changes to the writing staff the showrunners uh-huh. the stars etc Yep. I have no defense against Kron's uh, harsh judgment here. He is absolutely right. The harsh Kron judgment is is uh, withering me. So what I need to go the, eat some dog food. What is the food. rule of thumb? On average, it takes seven tries to get out of an abusive relationship. <laughs> or to quit smoking or whatever. Yeah, to, okay. s- to stop something self-destructive. So we've got, by my count, at least two more. At least two more seasons. At least, yeah. Yeah. And all of America, that would explain nicely why this thing's getting 18 million people to watch. It would. We're just yeah. caught. We're stuck in the cycle. Sure. We got Stockholm Syndrome. Rick's got us in. Uh, D from Cali said, oh, I scrolled a little too far. What the hell? What the hell, Mouse? Uh, D from Cali said, I found the show a little bit more watchable and myself having good laugh when I explained the many questionable annoyances off as Daryl Dixon's total badassery. For example... Where did Daryl find the gasoline or accelerant to burn the corpses of the mother and daughter zombies in the battered women's shelter? Daryl Dixon doesn't need that shit to start fire. He fucking wills it. How was it that the white van falling from the bridge was able to pull off some cat-like maneuver and land tires down when it clearly should have landed on its roof? Uh Daryl Dixon isn't bound by physics. Fucking act somebody. How is it that Carol wasn't splattered with zombie brains after Daryl macheted the zombie's head inches from her face? Because Daryl Dixon willed it. Given how much time passed in the zombie apocalypse, how was it that the random cargo truck that Daryl escaped in Atlanta in A, had a battery that would still turn over, and B, had usable gasoline? <laughs> Daryl Dixon, nuff said. Uh, it, I was under the impression that he broke into the same place near the hospital. Like, Noah took him to the cars that ran. He he stole he jacked the cops ride. Am I not right about that? I don't know that you're wrong, and I don't know that you're right. Okay, that's just the impression I had. 
Uh, huh. That's really ballsy. If he went and jacked one of the yeah. the uh, well, it looked like the same fence that Mercy Mer- Noah had hopped. Yeah, to get out of there. What's the name of this Maybe fucking hospital? Grady, Grady Memorial. Yeah, Grady, Grady Memorial. Memorial's finest. Mm-hmm. Uh, GMPD. Uh, let's see, Margaret C from China. No, from Chi Town. <laughs> <From> Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, which, I got Chinatown, Chinatown on the brain. Big trouble yeah. in the uh, little Chi Town here. Marcus says, I really appreciated that show went back on track or went back to show Carol rather breaking down after Rick's banished her because I found a lot of good parallels to a domestic violence relationship. I'm not an expert, but I'm a graduate student getting her master's in social work. And most of my experience and training has been focused on domestic violence and sexual assault. Why is it that the that the um, that the experts that write into our show try to deny the fact that they're actually experts? I Maybe they don't want to be identified. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Margaret said, you're an expert. I recognize you as a bald move expert. <laughs> okay. When uh, Carol was with Ed, she most likely had to check every single decision with him for fear of repercussions. After he died, she was able to gain her autonomy and heal and learn what it was like to be independent and make independent choices. When she chose to kill Karen and was it Daniel? At the, David. David at the yeah. prison without checking with anyone. She received the same type of backlash from Rick as she previously had with Ed. Obviously, choosing to kill people with infectious disease and going to the store without permission are on two different levels, <laughs> but there is still a parallel. Rick banished her, and she was most likely uh, felt the same guilt, shame, and fear as she did many times with Ed. Then after trying to be on her own, she headed back to the prison, just as many men and women in domestically violent relationships do come back to their abusers. I'm not sure if the show was attempting to show us this point or if it was just something I made up out of context. But after Ed died, the feelings of shame don't quickly go away. I do love the way the show is taking Carol's character, but I was happy to see this episode humanize her and show emotions instead of only the Rambo-type character she'd become. Not because she's a woman, because of all people, no matter their physical and emotional strength, are more interesting to me when they're given depth. My perceptions are in no way meant to put down those who've experienced domestic violence or can call or to call Rick an abuser like Ed, but it's something I noticed. Uh, so Margaret just called Rick an abuser uh, as an expert. Uh huh. What What's your take on on her take? I uh, I don't know. I'm not unfortunately an expert, uh, so I don't have a great take on it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Larry E. Okay, and this is the last, I think this is the last, no, no, second to last email. Larry E. said, do you think we watch The Walking Dead because it's like comfort food to us? The show's inferior to most other shows you podcast about, but there is something addictive about it. Is it a throwback of 1970s television? Is it like Kraft's mac and cheese? Tastes like crap, but you can't get enough of it? Aaron, which is the better show, Walking Dead or True Blood? <laughs> Shots fired. Um Wow. Okay, well, obviously, Walking Dead is the better show, but I will say, True Detect or True Blood has uh, a much better idea of what it is yes. and a more consistent vision of what it's trying to achieve than I think The Walking Dead has. But what do I know? It gets twenty million people watching it. The The Walking Dead, yeah, so, yeah. The The Walking Dead pretends to be something it's not, and but The Walking Dead. There's nothing else like it on TV, right? And it, so, 
There are no other apocalyptic zombie shows other than I guess you go to Z Nation, but that's not on the same caliber. Yeah, and it and uh, that's another great example of a show that really knows what it's trying to For do sure. and who it's trying to appeal to, and doesn't try to pretend to be anything else. So, yeah, so the reason I I started watching Walking Dead is because I I'm I, I'm a huge fan of Frank Darabont. Him doing television was interesting just in and of itself. Yeah. Um. I then you got me hep to the trade paperbacks and I was, I read the first two or three and I'm like wow if they can pull this off in AMC this is going to be some good stuff I mean there's a lot of good drama in there yeah yeah I continue to watch it because the Rick and Carl especially plotline really speaks to me as a single dad raising a son about the age that Carl was when this all started. I really am invested in that, and I want to see where it goes. I want to see how you know Rick balances this, you know, challenges of fatherhood and raising this kid in this shithole crap sack world, and how Carl develops. And um, I just think that's that's a really cool story to tell. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, there's nothing like it on television. And when they do it right, it's tense, it's horrifying, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I keep on thinking that like what if this show could execute on a week to week basis like the first two episodes like this episode what if they could just eliminate the annual trip on your own dick walking out the front door and punch yourself in the balls episode they can get out of their own way and just execute at a high level like what would this show look like. Would less people watch it? Would more people watch uh, that's it? A, that's a fair question. Uh, I mean, if you look at something like Breaking Bad, which, in my opinion, is executed perfectly, almost, uh, with with rare exception. And I sure. think, you know, that, they had six million people watching it at, at the, the height. height. Yeah. This has triple that. Yeah, triple the audience, but it's nowhere near as good as that show. But uh, I understand a lot of people on every level. The reason why there's a lot of this is escapist entertainment for a lot of people. But I feel like yeah, it is. it's like the Bill Simmons of the world that don't give a shit. So was Breaking Bad, though. That's the thing. Like Breaking Bad was the same kind of escapism as Walking Dead should be. Yeah, but I'm saying it's it. I don't know. It, something must be at the, the zombie show. Also, I think the fact that this thing starts off around Halloween. Yeah. Like it. It, it's just really brilliant how they put this time slot in. But I, I just feel like that the people that are watching it just for the mindless zombie action would yeah. still watch it if you had – like nobody – I didn't see anybody shitting on this episode because, my God, they they brought back two beloved characters have lots of history together. and They're doing boring talking about their lives in between the zombie killing. Like I don't feel like that happens, but the reverse is true. People like me, they're watching this show because I thought it was going to be the one thing mm-hmm. – you can make us happy by just making sure the writing's tight and the directing's tight and that we give a shit about what's going on in front of cameras and the people that want to just see the zombies killed will be happy. I'm happy when I see zombies killed. I'm too, yeah. I mean, that's not not part of the appeal of the show. They're asking for it. <laughs> uh, no, so I do Zombie blaming, Jim? Is never. that what we're descended to? No. Uh, I, I do see those people who are like, Fuck this soap opera bullshit. I want more zombie heads exploding. And I get that. Like, I like that in some of my movies as well. I feel like that only comes out during shaky episodes like this, like Still. Or. Yeah, maybe so. Or, or, I saw some of it or on Or some this of the episode. governor stuff, like, did you? 
Yeah, v- very little of it. But when you go to like the sites that are writing about The Walking Dead and you start mm-hmm. reading those articles and read the comments on those articles, yeah, that's where you get a lot of that. We don't have naturally a lot of feedback that comes in on that stuff because you know we've self-selected our feedback. Sure. Uh, the people who don't like that shit don't listen to us. Sure. Don't send feedback. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind, I think the reason Walking Dead is so successful is because zombies as an entity have just blown up. Uh-huh. I mean, since Twenty Eight Days Later, Shaun of the Dead really. Shaun of the Dead brought back the zombie. Okay. Into like the mainstream, and then Twenty Eight Days Later added to that and then everybody just started jumping on the zombie bandwagon and i don't know why it's some cultural phenomenon that the walking dead is tapped into in the form of zombies and it's the only thing out there that's trying to do justice to the genre yeah oh i definitely agree with that so i like i don't know where else you go if you want it's funny because i thought movies but those are short-lived right right and at when that's something we worried about when Walking Dead was kicking off, that maybe zombies had jumped a shark. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, every fucking video Call game had a zombie, m- mode. zombie mode. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, but but people, and like... I still think that shit is silly. I do, too. But on the other hand, it just seems like this culture has an insatiable appetite for zombie stuff. And it does. One of the most fascinating panels every year at the Walker Stalker Con is like the ethics of zombies, uh-huh. where they have the they have a couple of professors of philosophy and ethics and uh, biomedicine uh, give like a mini lecture that Jason and Karen from the Walking Dead cast host. And they talk about like um there's things about zombies that appeal to us at a very deep level an us versus them that, that they're a threat that can be used to symbolize masks, the threat of mass consumerism or the invasion or by <laughs> Soviets or an invasion by Chinese uh, communists or terrorists or, or anything. Um, it, it's like a remarkably malleable threat mm-hmm. and it allows us to explore a lot of interesting things about the human condition I mean, like I said, I'm not a, uh, a a professor of literature or ethics, but I do think there is something deep in the humanity that that like this zombie stuff appeals to on a very primal level. It does, and it's very easy to write that into a script because it's basically living versus dead, and you know that's a natural uh, a natural fight. Sure. Sure, <laughs> and and it's something like even that that idea of death and what is death and although were we debating it. that at lunch yesterday? Like, why do why are the living and dead constantly fighting? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I get good versus bad, like yeah. good versus evil. Sure, that is a natural war that cats and dogs, happen. oil and water. If if I'm evil, I naturally hate anything good, and vice versa. If I'm alive and I die, why do I suddenly hate the living? I used to be that. Do I not? <laughs> well, I think you, I think the, the yeah, thing yeah, you're missing is, is it seems is it so it seems like the violent, vengeful dead things mm-hmm. tend to be on the evil spectrum for some reason. I know, I know, because they're angry. They're angry. They're stuck on this astral plane, or they but, were crazy yes. people in real life, and yeah. And I feel like you know that's. That's the the human part of us, the part that wants to continue living. Yeah, the, saying death is bad, death is evil. Sure, sure. Anything that's not living is unnatural and yeah. wants to kill me. Yeah. If you it's want to see the flip side, watch Beetlejuice. I mean, those are yeah. happy-go-lucky ghosts. Casper, sure. another good example. Casper, the friendly ghost. 
<laughs> he's the exception that proves your rule. You're right. You're right. Um, no, that's just made by that's ghost propaganda. Yeah, made, that's by, made by, by ghosts. You're gonna be soft on ghosts. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't be showing our kids that shit. Notice there are no credits on Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> Zero. I don't know that that's true. That's not. <laughs> uh, sh- <laughs> Mike from Illinois said, "We're giving Carol and Daryl. This is the final. This is the finale. Until we got Bring the spoilers. It. This better be a hell of a take." We've given we're given Daryl and Carol making their way to the barren downtown Atlanta after going after Beth's captors, where they end up staying two blocks away, quote unquote, from where they last saw the said bad guys. They then crash in a high rise building. The next morning, Daryl decides it's a reasonable idea to set ablaze a mother and daughter Walker bonfire out on the roof. Really? Mm-hmm. After he had previously had the confidence to comment to Carol about having an advantage with the element of surprise? Really? In that proximity, I'm sure Daryl was thinking, oh, those folks were tracking the cross cars. We'll just assume all the rowdy walkers started the fire. Not to mention us viewers were previously given flashback scenes of Carol after being banished and now alone in said downtown area, seeing a cloud of smoke coming from the prison miles away. And that's setting off her rescue alarm immediately. It's fucked up, you guys. I know we're all committing our time to a show centralized around zombies, but how much do writers think we can let slide in such a story? Mike H. from Illinois has a great point. Why did we not pick up on that? We were, a, we were blinded by how the gallantry. good the rest of this episode was. Oh, by the Dixon gallantry is what well, I was going to say. Well, that too, yeah. You're right. That's a to- that is some horse shit. They're five blocks yeah. away from this hospital. And they're setting fire. The cops are going to respond to the, the smallest gunfire, but you set a bonfire on a rooftop, and no one's going to be like, what the fuck is on fire over there? Send some guys. will check it out. I was thinking that during the episode, but it looked to me like it might have been hidden by the building, like they had done it on a, a subroof, and there was another tier of towers above it. But even then, I mean, the smoke will rise until yeah. it dissipates. And I don't think it's going to go away before it gets to the top of those buildings. Sure, sure. So, yeah, no, he's right. It's it's not smart. All right, guys. Well, that's it for the non-spoiler section. We have a teeny tiny spoiler section. Yeah. It's a vestigial part of mm-hmm. the podcast this week. Uh, but we do have it. If you'd like to send in some takes, uh, if you'd like to get consideration for our email bag, you can do so. You can send it into watchingdadatballmove.com. And I appreciate everybody. I got around 200 emails from email. the start of the episode on Sunday till when I cut off feedback around noon today. It's incredible, the the volume and the pressure. It's like Eugene on a fire engine. <laughs> Engine's not running, but that water's still coming out. Yep. Uh, so thanks for everybody running the gauntlet of the mailbag. Uh, you can follow us, as always, on Facebook.com slash BaldMove or on Twitter at BaldMove. Uh, also, next week, we'll be announcing probably, unless something with the pilot program, uh, it, it just goes terribly awry, uh, the forums, the opening of the Bald Move forums. Mm-hmm. So be look on the lookout for that for next week's cast. Uh, if you want to follow us into the spoiler section, you can do so after music. Otherwise, we'll see you there. Yeah. See you after the episode. Otherwise, we'll see you after. Yeah, we won't see any spoilers. No, we will not. We'll see you after the next episode. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye. To all Amazon employees worldwide, CC, FH Glomgold, CHO, attention, legal department. It has come to my attention that the bald move empire has continued to defiantly drain my penny coffers at an unprecedented rate. This copper banditry must be stopped at all costs.
Scour the terms of service. Dig up the acceptable use policies. Comb through every line of the affiliate agreements. Find me the loophole that will shut them down. Permanently. Until the bald move uprising has been quelled, consider all holidays suspended and overtime mandatory. Cordially yours. Jeff Bezos, CEO and Lord of All Copper. Send. Now what? I am the ghost of Christmas future! God, I've already talked to two of you fools. They only told me what I already know. I was awesome and continue to be awesome. But not for long. Not with your miserly attitude towards pennies. Cease your senseless war on the podcasters. Or you will lose more than just the copper you love. More than copper? There is nothing more than copper. Copper is all. But what of love? What of the well-being of your employees? What of the golden age of television? What of... You've got mail. Silence, spirit. I have important matters to discuss. But, but... Ah, Steve from Legal. Interesting clause in the Kindle desktop publishing bylaws, eh? Yes, yes. This will do nicely. Waha, ha ha, ha ha, waha, ha ha, ha ha. And we're back with the spoiler section. We have uh, a singular email. I have something to talk about too. I saw a sneak peek. Uh, do you want to do the sneak peek first? Or do you want to talk about Olivia's email? Let's do the sneak peek. Sneak peek? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I want to take a break from talking for a minute. Is basically Beth mopping a floor and hearing uh, one of the cops and Don in the hospital talking about. Carol and how they want to take her off life support because Pulling she the plug. is fucked. Like hardcore, not getting up and ramboing or even John McClaning them. Uh, she's really, really hurt. Well, if they're talking about if they're talking about her possibly being pulled off life support, then yeah. She ain't Rambo and shit. No, she is super busted up. She's so. gonna Rambo, Rambo a, a intubation tube, hopefully, and st- keep breathing. <laughs> you, you would hope so, but I have a bad feeling that she is gonna just straight up die next episode. But that uh, that's, a horseshit, that's a horseshit out. character arc, which doesn't mean it won't happen. Sure. First of all, we've seen those before. I I feel like that she's gonna somehow save herself, save Beth, save herself from Beth. She's gonna save Beth at the expense of herself, and maybe. I mean, it, it would be a heroic May, Maybe we'll see that heroic thing pay off and make Beth turn into a proto-badass. Because okay. they kind of laid some ground with her escaping and her, you know, eagle-eyeing some of those headshots. Yeah. I could buy Beth. Man, it's a lot harder for me to buy Beth as a badass, honestly. It is. Maybe if she tutors under Daryl for a while. But then would you ever imagine the laundry... Laundry doing, Ed cringing Carol. No, as no. a poncho wearing, guts and festooned badass. Not at all. So they could do it. They could do it if they give Beth time to breathe and develop. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I mean, there's gonna be some ugly crying from Daryl next episode. I think <laughs> the only crying he knows how to do, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's check out what Olivia has to say. Olivia said, I want to get your take on something that will hopefully make the cut for the spoiler section of the cast. What's brilliant about this is she said that in the first sentence. I didn't even read the rest of the email. Yep. I'm like, fuck it. It's in the spoiler section. I don't care if it's three hours long. <laughs> like, once I get it, like, I, I sprint 
to the finish line, which is the spoiler section. Once I get to the spoiler section, I don't give a fuck. I don't edit things as tight. It's like as soon as I see it's a spoiler, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy the the first blush, which is sometimes I regret in the middle of it. Yeah. We'll see. So so if I stop reading in the middle, Olivia will know she did. She sent in a bad take. All right. Is 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 what's happening here. And, and you know, we wouldn't go back and cut that out of the episode. <laughs> well, it's being <laughs> sent live out on the Internet. So there'll be at least witnesses. We'll have That's witnesses true. to his travesty. Yep. Olivia D said, I want to get your take on something that will hopefully make the cut for the spoiler section of the cast. I know a lot of people are complaining about Maggie not mentioning Beth. I read an interview with the Kirkman last week, and he addressed the lack of Maggie concern from Beth. He said this will be addressed later in the season. He also said it's entirely. I read this interview. It's entirely consi- And what's funny is like it someone on later someone on Reddit, season. someone on Reddit posted like Kirkman's explained. Can we all stop talking about this? He hasn't explained though. That's, apparently, he he explained that he's gonna explain. No, he's saying that this is like, you know, if you really think about Maggie and how she's lost these characters and like, you know, pretending that Beth is already dead is like a way, a defense mechanism for her to cope and like all that. Sure. Fine. Yeah. But that hasn't gotten to the screen yet. It has not. So don't tell me that if I was a perceptive enough viewer, I should have put that together. You can make that a point later on and maybe that'll pay off in interesting ways, but she hasn't mentioned Beth once since the prison was destroyed. Right. It's our, unless you want to argue that she asked Daryl about Beth and that's why he volunteered information in the boxcar about her. But that's the problem I've got is since that episode, she's okay. found out that her sister was alive and was abducted. There's uh-huh. and and even though all then, last season people were telling her Glenn's dead. Glenn's dead. Wait, you got to move on. You got to forget about him. And she's like, "Fuck you. I know he's alive." She knows her sister was last seen alive. She's missing in action and she's just like, "Well, I'm just going to protect my heart and presume she's dead." That is not the Maggie Green that I know. <laughs> No. I don't feel like. No. I, I don't get it, man. Uh, so anyway, as I was thinking, or I was thinking about my, Maggie's comic arc after the fall of the prison. She lost her brothers and her father in the governor's attack while they, Glenn, Maggie, the twin boys, and Sophia sought refuge at Herschel's farm. Once reunited with the group, Maggie finds out about their deaths. She starts down a really dark, depressive slope to end up committing, uh, end up attempting suicide by hanging herself. Glenn finds her, cuts her down, and attempts CPR. The group hearing the pleas for Maggie to wake up all rush to Glenn. Abraham and Rick almost come to blows since Abe wants to put Maggie down so she doesn't turn. Maggie wakes up from her blacked-out state, which horrifies Abraham since he was so close to killing her. What if the Gimple uses this for the show? Maggie holds in her thoughts and emotions regarding Beth, only to lose her. The guilt of not staying behind with the church group to help with Beth's rescue, and knowing that would have uh, been her last chance to see her sister along with the recent death of her father puts her over to edge. What do you think? I think that would be an awesome way to kind of salvage this, this plot line and make Maggie interesting again. What do you think, Jim? Uh, yeah, that's not bad. Uh, will any of that make it onto the screen? (laughs) I mean, even if that's what happens in Kirkman's head, so you get back and everybody, like everybody at the church, scenes Maggie's like, "We found your sister. She died in our arms, asking for you." You could have saved her. Yeah, you could have not saved her, but you could have. Maybe she thinks that, but also she just knows that I could have seen my sister. I could have said goodbye. Yeah. Um. I 
I think that could be pretty powerful. It could be. I don't know that it makes up for her not giving a shit this entire time, though. Well, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on how they handle it. Like I said, I think all they have to do is give her a monologue where, you know, um, someone calls her on not giving a shit about Beth. And she's like, look, I think about Beth every day. But the reality is I'm probably never going to see her again. And I've lost my sisters. I've lost my mother. I've lost my father. Now you're getting back to they're making this show for binge watchers. I know I'm I'm because it's been a full fucking year. I get that. I'm just saying I'm saying that they could take what is in at this point Kirkman's head cannon. Yeah. And they could put it on the screen and it would make sense in retrospect because it's not like. Yeah. It's not like Maggie's been a central character that we've really like this has been something. It's just something every time we see her, we're like, God damn, she doesn't give a shit about her sister. She goes all over hell's half acre to find Glenn, despite all evidence suggesting that he's dead. And but, you know, for her sister, she doesn't give a shit. I think moving forward, that 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 would be f- just fine for me. Yeah, it would put a patch on a leaky boat, and I and that that's like, the best the we can hope for. Been fucking point. leaking in the first place. Sure, you should have built it out of duct know, tape, metal, and wood and fiberglass instead of duct tape. I don't know, or, or instead of frozen newspaper. Instead of scotch clippings. tape. Yeah, instead of scotch tape. I was going with myth, but myth. I was going to say you've you've, you've 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 discussed two materials that work surprisingly well as a boat but eventually they fall duct apart. tape and frozen wood pulp actually but, worked really then well they melt in the fucking river and sure, you sure. drown yeah yeah whereas a fiberglass boat doesn't <laughs> you saying maggie's made out of frozen wood pulp yes okay all right we can do that um that's all i got for spoilers man all right surprisingly cool. i think it was, we're just at the there like, if you're a comic book reader and you look at your Magic 8-Ball, there's a lot of answers unclear at this point. And yeah. at those points in the series, a lot of times the spoiler section gets a little anemic. Um, Indeed. But we'll see. This is and the only one I got, really. Maybe they've tightened up security on these scripts because they're not I leaking think, as often. As I think AMC do. across the board has... I don't know what they did differently, but we were getting... We never did for Mad Men because Matthew yeah. Weiner has been an insane person about security this the whole time. But we uh, got lots of stuff for Breaking Bad and Walking Dead, and about two years ago, it dried up. Yep. And we haven't seen anything since. Um, all right, man. Let's get out of here, then. Yeah, fun episode, uh, fun podcast. Hopefully, we're set up again. That They've set up to just run the table. Like, this is nothing but cool things can happen from here on out if they choose to let to go down that path. Next episode is them getting out of Atlanta and back to the church. <laughs> it's just Daryl <laughs> and Noah in a box tr- uh-huh. the truck, and 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 Daryl is talking about all the character development that we've seen him go through in four years to Noah. <laughs> yeah, he's rehashing. You know, he's got to catch him up. He's got to tell him about Sophia. He's uh-huh. got to tell him about the Cherokee Rose. Got to talk about, about Merle. Hand. About, all the way back. about Rick flip-flopping on the spy. They're going to hang him. Then they're not going to hang him. Then they're going to strangle him. And then Shane yeah. nutted up and did it for him. And, and then the truck flips. And then the tr- <laughs> they're stranded out there 30 miles from Atlanta. The ghost of of uh, Lori Past <laughs> walks into <laughs> the truck, and that's all there is to it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back after next week's episode. See you then. Bye-bye.